Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome back from the holiday weekend. Hope you had an awesome holiday weekend. I know some of you are uh, not even listening to this because you're on vacation. Maybe listen to it later on demand, 1280thezone.com. Always interesting with the holiday weekends. How many people take vacation the week of the holiday? You know, it's a Monday, so you take Tuesday through Friday because you only burn four days off and you got another vacation day to spot wherever you want later in the year. Or... You go the week before the holiday, so you get to Monday, you got a ten, you got ten days off. I never forget when I was brand new at Channel Two, and <laughs> one of my coworkers said, "Before you sign up for vacation, know when the boss is going, because you don't want to go the same week as the boss. You go one week before or one week after the boss's vacation, and then you're not dealing with the boss for two and a half weeks. Brilliant." Well, you people can figure out your vacations. We're going to hit the sports. We're back at it. Game one of the NBA Finals tonight. It's Milwaukee and Phoenix. Milwaukee closed out Atlanta on Saturday, won twice without Giannis Antetokounmpo. Kind of remind me of the end of the Jazz Clippers series. You know, Giannis is out the way Kawhi was out. Um, but then on the other side, you had, you know, Conley out, and then Conley and Donovan not playing 100%. And, uh, that's what Atlanta went through. They didn't have Trey Young for game five, and then they had him for game six, but he didn't look like he was 100%. So, in any case, it's over. And now it's Milwaukee, who uh, 50 years ago, they won their only NBA title, the golden anniversary. Can they double down and win a second? And Phoenix has never won. They've been in more than 50 years, and they have never won. Been twice, lost both times, uh, like the Jazz. This will be their third trip. The Jazz went twice. Might have been by Padres, who came in about the same time as the Suns into Major League Baseball and been twice and haven't won it either. So we'll see who breaks through. Game one tonight. We will get to that coming up. Right now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, college football recruiting. Man, they're back out on the trail. And there's all kinds of news. Guys making commitments, the Utes getting quarterbacks. We're going to talk to Greg Bivens, who's from 24 7 Sports. He went to Elite 11 camps. They're over now uh, when he was on with us last week. Um, he was go- going to the camps, but we'll get his thoughts on some of these recruits and some of the recruiting trends, and we will do that next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from Greg Bivens. He writes for 24-7 Sports, National Recruiting Coordinator covering college football. He joined PK and I late last week while he was at the Elite 11 camps. They're over now. But his thought on recruiting trends, key players, are the youths breaking through to a new level at quarterback? Here's Greg Bivens with PK and I. Greg, good morning. Good morning. We have many questions. You, you caught me in, caught me in mid bite of my apple breakfast right now. How are you guys? <laughs> you guys doing good? Yeah, we're doing all right. I think the question is: Are the Utes not doing all right? But are they doing better than they were? Before we get into the specifics, big picture, especially at the quarterback slot, do you feel like Utah's breaking through to a new level in recruiting? I do like their their quarterback room a lot. Obviously, I've uh, seen Nate Johnson the last couple of days. I'm actually driving there right now to see a uh, day three of the Elite Eleven, and 
I, I like him. I think he's got some unique qualities. Is he a little bit on the raw side? Yes. Will he probably need a red shirt and maybe another year? Um, I do think so. But, I mean, he's got some gifts for sure. I mean, he's, uh, he's an undersized kid at about 5'11", 6 feet, but he's got a really live arm. And, obviously, he's an elite athlete, legit 10 4, 9, 100 meters, which is fast if you're a wide receiver, more or less a quarterback, right? So, I think uh, – Give him some time. I think he's got a chance to be really good. He's looked good in the first two days of this uh, Elite 11 final so far this week. Yeah, you've got uh, Kyle Whittingham really loves the mobile quarterbacks in large part because he believes those are the most difficult to defend. And you've already said this kid's got elite athletic ability, but at the same time, the thing that's held them back is the ability to get the ball down the field. Uh, Based on what you know of these two kids, Rose and uh, Johnson here, do they have that ability? You know, they're, they're really they're different quarterbacks. It's, it's interesting. You wouldn't think the same school would recruit those two guys because of how radically different. You know, Brandon's the more pure pocket guy, and he's got some mobility as well. He's not a statue by any stretch. I wouldn't recruit a statue. So Brandon's got some functional athleticism. He, he can take off and run. He's, uh, he's comfortable. He, I think he does a good job making that first guy miss. He can extend play. But he's your pocket guy. I mean, he is third and eight. You, you, wanna, you need a big first down completion. I think Brandon can do that for you. Uh, Nate, and I'm not saying he can't make that third down and eight throw, he he might actually have a little bit more live arm than Brandon right now, but I think what he excels in is if you want to do some design rollouts, maybe some zone read. I mean, he's going to be the fastest guy in the field in a lot of games, so he can take off. But I think what we're seeing, not just this week, but when I saw him a few weeks ago at the Elite 11 Regional where he got the invite to come to the final, I've seen huge strides. I know his quarterback coach, Greg Pinelli, really well. And I'd say in the last year, uh, you're seeing better feet, uh, just more on balance. The ball placement is really good. The release is tighter. I mean, he's made some huge strides in just about a six-month period. So I just imagine how he's going to look in about a year and a half to two years. Uh, I like his upside a lot. And like you said with Brandon, I think Brandon is a pure thrower, um, with some, like I said, with some functional athleticism as well. So between those two guys, uh, I'd be surprised if, if not at least one, if maybe both, but at least one of them was going to be a hit. So Elite 11, it's definitely a label that every quarterback wants, but PK went and added it up a few years ago for a story he did, and about 50% of the Elite 11 kids end up transferring, so a.k.a. they failed at their initial school. Are they getting any better at identifying the elite quarterbacks, or it's still different when you're getting chased by big guys in 11-11 games, so no 7-on-7 and no camp can really tell us how good you are? Yeah, I mean, I would would not be so quick to say a transfer is a sale. I mean, you look at Kyle Murray's first overall pick, right? Joe Burrow transferred, first overall pick. Um... Baker Mayfield transferred first overall pick. I'll give you. I'll give you. A, I'll give you at that level, but at the level the Utes are dealing at. Say again. I'll give you at that level, right? It's a kid going from Ohio State to LSU, or you know Georgia to Ohio State, or something. Yes, at that level, I think you're right. But at the level the Utes have been at, I don't think that's been true. Sure. I mean, if you're if you're breaking it down to the you know to the Utes specifically, my my point was. You know, this day and age, and I'm seeing it in some of the California high schools quite a bit, it's, it's uh, I wish I had a nicer way of saying it, but it's just, we live in that, you know, world where if you're a sophomore high school quarterback and you're not starting, you're out of there already. And I'm not, it's just, it's, it's unfortunate, I think. There's not a whole lot of guys that just want to grind and, and wait their turn. So that, that's just the market. So when it comes to transfer quarterbacks, 
if you bring in two in the same class, I would. I don't know what the percentage is. If you did the math on this, I would love to know about it. But I bet it's extremely high. If you bring in two guys in one class, I would bet it's almost 75, 80% one of those guys is going to leave. And if you bring in two guys and, and one of them beats out a current guy that's an underclassman on that on that roster, I bet he's out of there too. So it's. I think you got to be not just strategic in recruiting a kid who's got talent, but I think character and makeup and, and wanting a guy who's going to be content. And you want a competitor, obviously, right? But you have to want a guy who is going to be content with maybe waiting a year or two and who's kind of got a little a little grit, a little toughness to him to where the point where he's not going to leave at the first sign of somebody else maybe, you know, I'm not going to name a name. You guys probably all know when the lead 11 quarterback a few years ago, right, who had a, a ton of hype coming in. And he was out of there before fall camp rolled around. So I think you got to be really careful when you recruit a quarterback, not just for talent, but you got to look at the whole body of work and the whole package there. It was a recent ruling as far as being able to make money for the college kids. Have you already heard some discussion of what it might mean for recruiting from the high school level? Yeah, yeah. No, that's been all the rage this week. And obviously there's been, you know, there's four college counselors out here, uh, including, you know, Spencer Rattler, um, Sam Howell, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. So three, three pretty, fairly big-name quarterbacks. And, and that's all that everybody's been asking them about. And so, you know, just talking to them, and they're kind of saying it's, it's, it's kind of insane how much they're having thrown at them right now. And I, I think – you got to be really, really wary of who you say yes to. Don't just say yes to anyone. And these guys are all super cool, and they're like, you know what, we're, we're not going to rush in. We want to do stuff that's going to help our teammates, too. We're high profile, but, you know, my right guard, you know, I, I want him to be involved. And so, yeah, they're already having a, a ton. And when it comes to recruiting, it's definitely – I mean, when USC is recruiting right now, I talk to a kid and I ask, hey, how was your USC visit? I mean, that's half their, their conversation is, yeah, they talk to me about NIL – for, for half the conversation about what you can do if you're in a big market like L.A. You can only imagine, you know, if you're Alabama or Ohio State, who, you know, those schools kind of lead the nation and comes to jersey sales and, and what they could do to market those kids. It's a huge part of the recruiting process. You're talking about, you know, not even talking about graduation rates anymore. It's always been about NFL. Now it's like after saying, hey, we'll develop you, get you, get you to the NFL, probably the next topic is going to be NIL. So do you believe the people who say this is going to spread out the talent that has been congregating at Alabama and the top you know, four, five, six schools, and then now we're going to have, you know, in two to three years as the talent spreads out, we'll have 12 to 15 to 20 legitimate national title contenders? I mean, that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the best case scenario, right? I, I personally just don't see it. I, I think it's I think it's a case of the rich getting richer. Now, I, I do think... You know, it, it's gonna it's gonna help some schools recruit better, but the reality is, I think the best schools are, are still gonna recruit the best players. That's how it's always gonna be. You're still gonna see probably when it comes to recruiting rankings, the same top four or five schools. You're still gonna see Ohio State, Oklahoma, Clemson's gonna be up there. Um, you know, LSU's gonna be up there, and you're still gonna see that because those schools can. When it comes to NIL, those schools can still, you know offer the most to that kid because those schools have the, the biggest fan bases on the TV the most and uh, they can generate the, the most marketability. So, yeah, I think the, ho- the hope is it will help out maybe even the level playing field just a little bit, but I, I don't know if it's going to suddenly make uh, a team that, you know, was a perennial top 15, now a top 14. I don't see that happening at all. 
We were wondering, in a, particularly in a place like Salt Lake in Utah, it's a smaller community, and the high school football gets covered a lot. A lot of the games are on uh, television. The playoffs are on television. So these kids can build a brand for themselves literally at 15 and 16. So we're wondering, since they've already established their name in a community, would that maybe help them to think as far as staying local? Because there's been a number of high-profile players who have gone to Oregon, Stanford, SC, that have left our state here. So do you think that that would have an impact? They establish themselves as a teen, a young teen, and then they can continue it and be able to literally cash in in college if they stay local because they'll already have name recognition. Sure. No, I, I think I think that's a great point, and I think that definitely can happen. And again, it becomes... It's going to become, you know, can they make me more money than if I were to transfer to a school like like USC? Can can me staying local and, and going to Utah can that help me more than you know going to maybe a, a school that you know isn't a bigger market? And so I think obviously if you're Utah, yeah, you, you definitely want to identify those kids early, and you hope that you know NIL even out the playing field. But again, I think it's just going to come to you know when you're recruiting, you're going to have to show these kids, okay. These kids came here, this is how much they made here. And again, that sounds crazy to say, but that's kind of where we're at right now. Recruiting against USC and Oregon and UCLA, even even Stanford in Silicon Valley, can you show them that it, it's worth it financially to stay versus going over there where there might be their markets? I get that schools aren't supposed to be brokering these deals. I also get that schools almost can't afford not to be brokering these deals, or at least talking to people and setting up so that those boosters can go over there, one block off of campus, legal by the letter of the law, and then broker the deals from there. It seems like that's the new gray area we're going to hear about NCAA violations in. And it seems to me inevitable that that can't really be policed, and it's always going to be a gray area. And it's a little scary for me. And, and again, I've been doing this for 25 plus years. And so I'm not going to be, I, none of us are naive, right? You know, the way schools do things in the Pac-12 versus the way they do things in other conferences, again, not even names, maybe a little closer, you know, in the South, it's, it's a different level playing field. And so now we're dealing with, you know, potential boosters getting involved. And it, it, I, I think it could definitely open up a, a Pandora's box and like you mentioned it's going to be a very hard to police and I'm kind of fascinated to see you know these first five years I'm fascinated to see exactly how this goes so as far as being able to have a track record of come here because this player at your position made this amount of money this is something that the colleges are going to need a couple years to be able to provide evidence is that what you're saying I, I believe so you know and right now I'm seeing on Twitter all these all these players just you know, tweeting out all these dollar signs and act like they're going to cash in immediately. And these are these are guys who haven't even, haven't even played it down yet. You know, and it, like unless you unless you play and play well and you have an actual name, this isn't going to help every guy on your team. It's only going to help, I think, the select few that are pretty elite. So, um, like I said, it, right now when you're recruiting, you know, if I'm a coach and you sit in a kid's living room. You know, you're literally showing them your graduation rate, how many players you've gotten drafted over the last, you know, four or five years at his position. You're showing them, you know, your winning percentage, all those kind of things. It, it's, I think it's only a matter of time, you know, five years where you're saying, okay, at your position, the last three guys we brought in at, at running back made this much money off their NIL image, right? You know, right now, this is what you could do. That's going to be a big part of the sales pitch, I believe, in you know, the next four or five years, if not sooner. 
So if you're at an Elite 11 and you have a chance to uh, talk to coaches who recruit and all that, how pumped up are they about this? Because what they say off camera, what they say away from a microphone can be really different. How pumped up are they by this? How much are they horrified of this? How much are they kind of accepting that it's coming and it's going to change everything and they're not even sure what it's going to look like in five years? What do they say privately? Are you talking about the how coaches. pumped up are the kids? No, the coaches. Pumped, oh, the coaches. Yeah, yeah coaches. no, I think the coaches, they, I think they're very wary. I, on one hand, I think some of the schools, you know, I will keep it out west in the, in the Pac-12, I think, you know, they're hoping that this levels the playing field. Um, I, again, not being naive, I think they feel like, you know, some schools are, are able to do things that we might consider, you know, a little shadier out here. So I think they're, they're hoping that this levels it out, but I think they, they're also concerned that, shoot, this isn't really going to change a whole lot because schools that are already doing some stuff are going to continue to do that on a different level now. Now it's almost legalized, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So I, I think coaches are, are, you know, I don't know if I use the word happy. I think they're happy that their kids, that they're recruiting or are getting something, um, which, let's be honest, you know, talking to Sam Howell yesterday, he was like, you know what, we're already getting stipends that are taking care of a whole lot. So it's not like, and again, I'm not trying to sound like that kid off my lawn guy, but the kids, you know, they're actually doing okay. Um, I think the coaches feel like, hey, if they have a jersey that's going to sell, given the money, that's great. But again, like I said, I think they're also concerned that, uh, you know, if there's a have and a have not, it's just gonna, that gap is still going to be there. How much has recruiting been affected at the high school level by the transfer portal? Um, I can't understate it enough. It's huge. It's huge. You know, and I've talked to so many college coaches in the last, I would say, eight to nine months, um, maybe a little bit longer. And, you know, in years past, you know, you get, let's just say, a nice number, 25 scholarships. Those last five always went to maybe your borderline high school kid, um, you know, a guy you think has some upside, not there yet. Now those last four or five spots are going to go to transfer portal kids. And, and the reason is simple. You know, with a high school kid, there's, there's some risk there. You don't know what you're getting necessarily. When you go to the portal, uh, you're getting a guy – now there's always risk, right? But you're getting a guy who maybe he's already battle-tested, maybe he's played one or two years of college ball, and maybe it's just a depth chart issue where he, he got buried a little bit. Maybe he's homesick. Um, maybe he, again, just didn't click. His new coaching staff came in and he doesn't fit that system. So – uh, you're seeing, like, at Oregon State, I could conceivably see, and they did it this past year, you could give out almost half your class, maybe eight to nine kids to, to portal kids. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see a lot of schools, you know, keep those last five, six, seven spots that normally would go to, to a high school player. And, and so it, it's a trickle-down effect. This past year, you know, the, the numbers that signed at a high school were way, way down. It's affecting the JUCOs. You might see, you know, more kids go that route. And honestly, there's a risk going into the portal, first off, obviously, right? You might go there and you think you're going to have the same options you had in high school, and you don't. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you might get stuck in that portal. But if you're a coach, recruiting-wise, that portal right now is a lot more attractive than it is, you know, going on that that high school kid who's a bigger risk than maybe the kid who's already played a couple years of college ball. Greg, we appreciate a few minutes. We're sorry we took you away from your breakfast apple. All good. Good talking to you guys. There's Greg Bivens. Now, coming up next, BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo. Tom was good enough on very show notice to join us for half an hour. Probably not so much because of us, more because all the Cougar fans out there. But I think it applies to Ute and Aggie fans, too. You know, what's going to happen now with his name, image, and likeness? How is this going to play out? And obviously, Tom can speak more to BYU than he can the other schools. But I just think some of these things are true for all schools. So, we'll hear from Tom Homo coming up next. 
a name, image, likeness, how players are going to cash in, and specifically what BYU is doing to help them. And he brings up a point, and they're going into business. You know, They're going to pay taxes. They're going to be unscrupulous people trying to get a hold of them. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff that will happen now. It's a, it's a crazy new frontier. Tom Homo, next. Stay with us. The playoffs may be over for the Utah Jazz, but the season never ends on the Zone Sports Network. From the NBA draft to free agency and on to the summer league, the Zone will be with the Jazz every step of the way as the Jazz front office builds for the future. Your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Tom Homo, BYU Athletic Director. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is now in an extreme drought. Currently, that is why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Tom, good morning. Good morning, DJ. How you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us on such short notice. We appreciate it. And... There are many questions we're about to ask you that, honestly, I don't know that you can 100% guarantee us the answer is right. Uh, so I want to start with an impossible question. Are you ready? Sure. That's a good way to start. Yeah. If name, image, and likeness had been a deal, say, 50 years ago, which Cougar would have earned the most money, Jimmer or Jim McMahon? Well, I think Jimmer probably could be – it's hard to say because Jimmer was in a little bit more of the information age. Mm-hmm think uh, he was the player of the year. That's an impossible question. You're right. <laughs> but I think both of those two would be, would uh, both of those guys would be in a position to be able to uh, take advantage of name, image, and likeness. So at your media day, Tom, you guys were ahead of the game. There was a phrase, it's something for life. I'm, it's escaping me what you guys called it. Uh, Build for Built life. For yeah. And so obviously you're trying to get uh, uh, basically get your arms around this as far as uh, po- as much as possible. Uh, what jurisdiction or power or influence and all that stuff is the university going to have over kids as they start to go? Because we've seen already a couple on social media basically say, hey, I'm available. Let me help you. <laughs> um, it's a very good question. We feel that it's our responsibility to help educate them and train them. There's ways we can do that. I think a lot of these young people are in for a, a great learning experience, which will come with some good experiences and some really tough experiences. Right now, that's what we're trying to do with Built for Life, is to accelerate programs that will help them learn how best to deal with these types of opportunities to make money. Uh, as you two and I know, who have been at this for a long time, the best way is not to say, hey, come, I'm available, come get me. You graduate, you get a great degree, you go out and get a good job, and you go to work five days a week from nine to five. That's how you start making money. From there, you know, maybe some creativity, some good breaks, some good uh, elbow grease, and you, you make a, a, a bigger amounts of money. But I think the key thing is trying to help them understand and prepare them for a job. So do you have companies already contacting your kids or your uh, your uh, 
coaches and administrators? Are you already hearing from the community about wanting to get on board with this? I mean, BYU is a pretty powerful brand, but it's especially a pretty powerful brand within 10 or 20 miles of campus. Yeah, I think the answer to that question is yes, 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 but in minimal um, opportunities. Some of our um, some people's companies in the state have come to us ahead of time. We're friends with them and said, hey, we would like to be involved in this. We think that we could use a few athletes, and we'd like to, in advertising. That's something that's kosher. You can, work, you can make that work. I think there's other people that are not coming to us, and they're just going right to the athletes, which is legal. That's fine. The issue that's really it's hard for us to deal with is we're, I feel like I, mean, I love these kids, and we're with them a lot. We have a lot to do with their growth and development during this period of time in their lives. And I just know that there's a lot of unscrupulous people out there that are going to take advantage of them. And that's why I'm saying with Built for Life and with the things that we're going to do with NIL behind the scenes, not just seeing how much money they can make, but we're trying to prepare them for these experiences that they are going to have if they get involved. Some are going to be great and some are going to be really bad. So is the so-called maybe seediness side of it, is that what concerns you the most? Um, I don't. I think the, the one thing that concerns me the most is just that they, they have a, an opportunity to learn about what they can expect. And then it's never going to be exactly. We, we, we go and we take classes in college and we learn and then we go out into the world and it's not quite – how they taught us in college, but we have an idea of how it's going to be. And we, we've done this for years. Every school in the state has educated their student athletes. And it's not just about football and baseball and basketball and soccer. It's about a relationship. And it's about the way that we connect with our student athletes. And this just speeds it up about 100 times what has been in the past. Tom Homo joining us, BYU Athletic Director. Is this going to significantly change recruiting? I mean, they've already been kids, players, middle men running around with their hands out. Is there going to be more of that? Is this going to make Kalani's head explode? Well, I think it adds another component, a pretty significant component. But if you're like you guys have been in the business a long time, you realize that there's been a lot of under the table dealings that are not have not been legal with the NCAA that have been occurring from uh, free lunch to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. This right now opens the doors and kind of what they're saying is it lets the market go and see what happens. And I think that you're going to have recruiters that are still going to cheat. There's still, there's rules in NIL. This isn't just, uh, all Katie bar the door, this is all down. This is, there's going to be people that still break rules. There's rules that say that you can't entice people to come to your school. You can't do that by just giving them money. Is that going to happen? Yeah, you all know that's going to happen. But we, you'd like to think that there's enough people that are in the NCAA, in membership schools, coaches, administrators, presidents, all those involved with athletics that will try to do it right, to try to develop programs to 
help their student athletes and they'll have good experiences. I don't know if all those things that went down that were illegal in past years, wherever they happened, were good experience for the kids. I don't think it's a great learning experience. You're not teaching them a lot of good things by doing what, by breaking the rules. How much do you think this whole situation is going to evolve, meaning next year, five years from now, there's all sorts of different things as it, as it affects everything because there's stuff right now that we just don't know how it's going to play out. I think that's exactly how it'll play out, PK. I, I just think that we're going to learn a lot real fast. The NCAA has come out with this, uh, I don't even know what they're calling it, it's an interim policy, I guess that is the best way to put it. We all anticipate that Congress will come out with a standardized plan because right now you have various ways, depending on which state your school's in, as to how this will be legislated. That's, gonna, that's difficult, and nobody thinks that it can work that way. So we all anticipate, you know, time frame, uh, I'd say at least a year, maybe more, before something solid comes out. But in the meantime, we're going to learn. Right now at BYU, we, you know, in the state of Utah, there is no legislation, which, quite frankly, I think it's a benefit to all the schools in the state. And I think it'll be helpful for our student-athletes and that we all are kind of on the same page. And each one of our schools now can be able to regulate and assist student-athletes to take advantage the best way they can with NIL. And I think that we put out something today that describes what our um, program is. It has to be that way if you don't, if you're not in a state that's legislated. And we feel that that will, it's not written in pencil, but we'll be, uh, we'll be changing it a lot in the next couple weeks and months to adapt to what we learn from other schools and other parts of the country and some of the student athletes. I think a lot of what's a lot of it's going to be that student athletes are going to, through their social media contacts and the way, just the way they communicate these days, which is very effectively that they're going to learn from each other. They're going to learn from best practices, how they might be able to participate in NIL. And look, don't get me wrong. I think that this is a long time coming. There's aspects of NIL that are going to be great. And I've said all along that I'm supportive of certain aspects of it. So today is a good day for our student athletes. But it's also one of those things like when you send your, your children off to college and you're like, okay, as <laughs> best I can, but you know that you're going to get some calls back saying, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I think a lot of kids are going to finally learn that you, you have a name, an image, and a likeness, and you have to make of that what you make of it. There's not going to be people that are going to be coming to all 631 of our student-athletes with deals. I think that some of our student-athletes will have great opportunities to make some money, and rightfully so. I think that's a great thing. And hopefully uh, they'll have been in a position where they'll make really good decisions and be involved with really good people. And if that's the case, that will be a, a very good thing for them. BYU Athletic Director Tom Homo joining us. So as the name, image, and likeness rules 
take over. And there are a lot of boosters at a lot of schools that are smart and are savvy and are invested. And under the old rules, you know, something like Phil Knight, right, and the Nike money, and no one can deny the power and impact he's had on the Oregon Athletic Department. But now, with so many more rules open, it seems like some schools are going to have boosters set up. I don't want to call them shadow governments, or I don't know what to call them. But you know what I'm getting at. And they're going to be just off to the side, off campus, making sure the money flows, trying to give their school a competitive advantage. Are you worried about that? It's going to happen. I'm not really worried about it, because it's going to happen. It's we're we're going to protect against that. We don't want that to happen because it's illegal. Now, it's going to be the reason that the NCAA compliance book, rule book, is like two inches thick is because coaches and administrators have caused so many laws to be written because they've, they're going to try to find ways to get things done and new rules have to be put in place all the time. So I, I think you're right, DJ, that there's going to be immediately people trying to figure out a way to, quote, unquote, beat the system. Mm-hmm. There are rules. They're very plain about what you can do. And each, each school has different rules now. Each state or many states have different rules. But there, you ask the question, am I worried about people cheating? I can't worry about that. We're just going to do what we do. We're going to prepare our kids the very best way we can. And we think we have a... So, no matter what club you're in as far as uh, a supporter, whether it's the Cougar Club, whether it's the uh, Crimson Club, from the highest, most famous, biggest donor down to the bottom, everybody wants to win. And everybody associated with BYU wants an, another 11-1 season. If they don't want that, it's because they want it 12-0. and zero. <laughs> And that's just the way it is. Do you think, or how much do you think this program going forward is going to help individual programs win? I don't. I think what will happen is certain student-athletes, prospective student-athletes, will make their decision on what school they attend based on where the money's at. I think that's how you could put it. Whether it's, uh, you know, they're going to get money under the table in a legal way, which has happened for decades and which will continue to happen. But I think that hopefully, hopefully most of the schools, they recruit student athletes to come to their school for the right reasons, which are to get a great education, to sell the things that happen on your school that are dynamite and that have been advantageous for students for forever. And then, to be able to have program athletic programs that have great coaches and that have success and can develop and grow kids and make them better at their particular sport, and that in the in the end, the student athletes come to a school and they by the, when they spend however much time they spend there, when they leave, they feel that they're better for going to that school. That isn't always the case. Look at the transfer portal. There are so many kids in the transfer portal now. Those kids aren't going to those schools necessarily uh, for the right reasons. They're, they're going for why – well, I guess it could be their right reason. 
if they want to go just to make money and put themselves in a position to make as much money as they can, then that's where they're going to choose their school. We'd like to think that people aren't coming to BYU because they're going to make the most money while they're here. We think that we can put them, because it's such a great institution and has such a great reputation for its, our graduates, that that's a great selling point. That's a huge competitive advantage for us. And that's what we're going to hang our hat on. It's always been that way, and it always will be that way. BYUAD Tom Homo joining us. So uh, PK has a theory that there's so much, especially for football, but there's so much attention focused on high school sports that a kid can raise their profile locally. And if they stay and play college locally, well, then they're ahead of the game and, and building momentum and their ability to cash in on their name. Do you think this tips the balance of power when it comes to local recruiting, especially football and, and basketball, too, to a lesser degree? I think that, you know, PK, I would agree with that. I think that you look around the country, a lot of kids stay close to home because they have family, they feel comfortable, they have a great connection, and it feels right. And they think that they can accomplish everything that they want to accomplish by going to that local school. And I think the state of Utah, for all of our schools, I think we're in a great spot. The state of Utah is an incredible economy, incredible economy. We have incredible schools. We have the great outdoors. We have so many things that are happening right now. And I hope, I hope that a lot of these kids will stay in the state because they'll be able to connect with the great opportunities that are here. There, in, you know, in years past, maybe when I came in the old ages, there might not have been as many things in the state. But I think now the locals, I think you're right, PK. I think that'll, I'd like to believe it's true, and I think you're right. So, Tom, I'm going to throw a total hypothetical at you, which means it may be fair or not, but I want to get your thought on it from your experience. We know that the BYU quarterback is a high, high-profile position. I mean, it's practically a member of the Jazz in terms of their visibility and all that stuff. So a scenario, the whoever the quarterback is, he's successful and like he was like Zach was last season. So he signs a deal with Channel 2 that says, I will give you an exclusive interview on the field after the game, and he's going to get paid $10,000 per, whatever it might be, I don't know. But he signs that, which may be a little bit different. You know, you're supposed to go off the field and have the locker room and the 10-minute cooling pot off period and all that stuff. I'm wondering, could you see a scenario like that where that, not necessarily just BYU, but around the country, Ohio State, SC, wherever, that a kid signs the deal that, in a sense, supersedes what the team has going on? How long did it take you to come up with that idea, PK? We were talking about it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, this is one of those things where you said, you know, are things going to adapt? I think the answer to that question is that's a possibility. It's, it certainly would be uh, legal and okay for a lot of places. But I think one of the things that we deal with are exclusive contracts. We also deal with would a coach of a team make a policy saying that you can do something with a TV station 
after we release you from the locker room, but not while we're on the field. I don't know have an answer to that, but those questions will be answered in short order yeah. because people are going to challenge that. And is that okay? Sure it is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make us work overtime. Our brains are going to have to be on, on at all times. We're going to have to be really creative. We're going to have to put away the things that we've thought from the past and start looking to the future. So I think all of those op- – that's, that's legal. I don't see that being anything wrong with that unless somebody had an exclusive. um, And that's one of the things that we're going to have to consider is all the schools in the state of Utah have exclusive deals with their school. So I'm going to give an example. We have a deal exclusively on our campus with Coca-Cola and it's an athletic department and campus deal. So, one of the things that people say are, could our student-athletes do a deal with another uh, beverage company? And the answer is they probably could off-campus away without any of our marks or any of our facilities. And those are going to be have to be strictly monitored because we, have, we already have contracts that enforce our campus. So that, the scenario that you give with individuals doing uh, interviews after the game would have to be in compliance with what those state and excuse me, not state campus and state department contracts already that had already exist. Yeah. And so you'd have to work that out and see if it could come to fruition. Since we're just making stuff up, how about a halftime off the field, walking off the field interview? (laughs) Well, Hey, look, one of the things that we can't do is we can't broker deals. So that's one of the rules in the NCAA is people on campus, coaches, administrators, um, ADs, we can't be involved in brokering deals. Right. And so, you know, don't be trying to slide me a little money under the table, PK, to help you out. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about that. PK's never given anybody any money at all. (laughs) Hey, the Devils went to the Rose Bowl in 87. I gave him 20 bucks. Nice. <laughs> That's why they haven't been back because you haven't given them twenty bucks. Now. There it is, ninety six. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually had this conversation with a sports information director at another school earlier this week, but I think it applies to every SID in the country. I said you usually pick, you know, you get the request from the media for whoever after the game, and you pick three to five players and the head coach, like. You're going to walk in the locker room or a guy's going to be staring you down? It's like, you're costing me money. Run me out there. I'll entertain him. I'll say something. And he just laughed. He says, I don't know, but probably. So does that go back to you got to go to square one on everything everybody does on campus because this changes a lot of things? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to cross that bridge in the fall. We'll, we'll talk about those things. And I think one of the things that it does do is that it does create a little more competitiveness within the team who gets what like it's one thing to see that this person this guy on my team is going to get a little bit more attention in the media it's another thing if that attention is leading to him to get paid and and that's unfortunate i've talked to all our coaches about hey look at your responsibility as a coach just you just added a lot of time because now you're, you've got to be dealing with the unity of the team and the collaboration of team members. And one of the things that's such an important part of successful teams is 
when players on the team can be happy for other kids' success. That's a great, the greatest teams, players are not envious of other people on the team doing great. And this, when money comes into it, it could be affected. Those are things that our coaches are talking about all the time now, saying how are we going to convince our players that it's really still you know, all for one and one for all. we got to come into this together. And even though there's going to be maybe now money on the line, it can't change the fact that we got to be together. You've been involved in the NFL game for many years, and I'm sure, I'm sure you saw some of the evils that money created in all sorts of different ways that can go down the wrong road. How much is the university educating or going to be educating these kids as far as if they come into cash on how to handle it and maybe what to expect? That will be encompassed in our Built for Life program. So people, these people will have to deal with taxes now. They they where they haven't done that. They'll have to deal with contracts because we are not allowed on our campus to be part of those contracts. So what if somebody, a kid, has a contract with um, a company and and they were supposed to get paid and then the company doesn't pay them? What are they are they going to come to us now and say, hey, you got to take care of this? They didn't pay me. Well. That's part of how it'll work. You'll have to go get an attorney or you'll have to get someone that will help you deal with that legal issue. It's going to be, you know, there'll have to be a lot of education that takes place that they would probably learn in their first jobs off of campus. Look, we have a lot of kids that are on campus that are students and not student athletes governed by the NCAA that have had to deal with this already. And that's one of the reasons why I feel that it's okay, and I like the fact that student-athletes shouldn't be different from our students on campus. There's reasons to believe that there are, because even in the, in the major leagues, NFL, NBA, um, Major League Baseball, there's rules, there's drafts, there's collective bargaining, there's a lot of things that take place to help um, – rectify some of these problems that would exist right now it's kind of going to be like the wild wild west and then as we see that didn't work or we're not going to be able to do that or here's a new rule or policy that we're going to have to institute every single school is going to be dealing with that and we'll find uh hopefully we'll find a place where we can be comfortable until they come out with legislation and when that day comes I think even from there, there's going to be a lot of adjustments. So this, the whole landscape of the NCAA has changed. We can't even imagine some of the issues that we're going to be having to deal with, but we'll deal with them as they come up. Um, Corona was probably a good experience for us in this way. There were so many things that athletic departments had to deal with that we had no idea how to do it. And somehow, some way, we got through it. We figured out ways to be at our best. We figured out ways to endure, to overcome, resiliency. And those are some of the principles that we've been telling our kids already. Hey, this is going to be so different. We're going to have to come at you with some policies that we've never had before. And you're going to think that we're restricting you. We'll work together to come up with these policies. 
And that's what this generation wants. They like participating in their outcomes instead of like right now, a lot of people look at the NCAA and say, kids don't have any, they don't have any say in what their future is uh, as far as, you know, NCAA and, and uh, NIL. And now they do. So, again, I would say uncharted waters, but let's go. Well, Tom, we could probably create 100 more hypotheticals and wreck your whole day, but we really ought to let you go. We appreciate you coming on on short notice to uh, talk about all this and kind of cluing Cougar fans on where you're going with your team and and probably cluing fans of other teams around the state, too. Thanks for joining us. Good luck. And when we have 100 more hypotheticals, we'll call you back and run them all by you. Hey, just send them down to me. I'll answer them every time. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. There's Tom Homo, and if you came in late, you missed him, or if you missed Greg Bivens earlier, remember, everything is up online at 1280thezone.com. You can listen there or wherever you get podcasts, Spotify, Apple, whatever, uh, Google Play. Uh, You can go catch stuff there. So check it out. We're going to be right back, though. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Game two, excuse me, game one of the NBA Finals tonight. Uh, The Suns get to host game one and two tonight and Thursday, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. I'm wearing the shirt from 93 right now. I think it started around that time to win. You know, they develop that. You hear people talk about, I remember when I watched Charles and them. Like, you hear those stories at all times and seeing the passion in their eyes when they're telling the stories and even being at the bottom of the barrel for the past five years and them still showing up and showing love, you know, shows that same type of love that they have for this team. That's Devin Booker talking about the passion of the Suns fans in Phoenix. And they are back in the NBA Finals for the first time in 28 years. PK, you love to listen to Sports Talk Radio in Arizona. Is it taking over? Is it all Suns all the time? They feeling it? Yeah, I haven't listened in a week or so, but did he say that the passion began in 93? No, he says just walking around town, people share with him stories in 93, which obviously, given his age, you know, this is all new to him. Because I go back to 62. (laughs) (laughs) The Suns don't go back to 62. He said he was wearing a shirt from 93 is what he was wearing. Yeah, I got that part. Yeah, obviously, any town. It's no, it's no, no different. Whatever town you're in, they're going to be excited if you're in the finals. I mean, this is just any pick a sport. They'd be fired up. I can remember in uh, what was it? Oh uh, nine, when your ball club won the whole ball of wax. Man, we were going berserko. Remember the penalty kicks? I do. Oh yeah. It was awesome. Everybody loves a winner. And the Suns are favored to win it all. They are six-point favorites for Game 1 tonight. Giannis Antetokounmpo is listed as doubtful for this one with that hyperextended left knee. 7 o'clock on ABC for Game 1 and then Game Two's Thursday. Chris Paul, in the uh, media sessions leading up to Game 1 here, has been asked about the Players Association and the approval of the quick turnaround and the compacted season because LeBron James had his complaints. Other players, you know, don't have LeBron's status and stature, but 
He just dismissed it all as, hey, injuries are unfortunate. You hate to have them. But just like when we went to the bubble, everything was discussed as far as the players and the full body of players. Everything that's good for this guy and that guy might not be the same for the next guy. But everything, there's always been a conversation. It's going to continue to be that way. So you had your chance to hear your grievances, and this is what we all decided on. So It doesn't matter. It. When LeBron does speak, it's it's over it. Okay, it started out kind of biblical and ended a little Bugs Bunny-ish. That was a quick transition. It's good, though. <laughs> LeBron speaketh, no more discussineth. Daffy Duck. It was yeah. Daffy Duck, not Bugs Bunny. My bad. We got Part Duck. of the Bugs Bunny yeah. Roadrunner Hour. but That's the Daffy way it Duck. goeth. Yes. LeBron thus smoketh. Slow on my There's cartoon ID. End there. of discussion. When he speaks, there's no more discussion. That's it. He's LeBron. There will be more discussion in Atlanta where the Hawks don't have a deal yet but are planning on signing Nate McMillan to a four-year deal. Remove the interim tag. They finished 27-11. and 11. They won two playoff series. Nate McMillan, veteran NBA coach. It's not true. What's not true? He's interim coach. He's going to get fired. Oh, okay, to the degree everybody. <laughs> nobody's permanent forever coach. He's already had three jobs. Sonics, Blazers, Pacers, 16 years. Now he says he's an older, mellower coach. He's more patient now, now that he's in his mid-50s. Maybe so. Makes sense. Yep. And other basketball players are gearing up for more games or saying goodbye to the Olympic dreams. Luka Doncic gets Slovenia into the Olympics for the first time ever. Triple-double, 31 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists. In a 40-minute game, they beat Lithuania, who'd gone to the game seven straight times. But Slovenia knocks Lithuania out 96-85. Italy beat Serbia. They're in, baby. Canada's choked. Germany's in. Canada with nine NBA guys. Misses again. Haven't made it in 20 years. So the Olympics coming up. 12 teams in Tokyo. A couple weeks away from that. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. It's definitely not going to be easy. Uh, changing positions at any level, not to mention the professional level, is going to be difficult. Football's in his blood, so I feel like he'll he'll find a way. He'll, he'll find a way to, you know, he's physical, he's you know athletic, so I wish him nothing but the best going forward. But you know, it was a tough transition, you know. I was getting, getting my butt kicked, you know, when I first moved to tight end, but you just stick with it and grind through the process and things get better. That's the Raiders tight end Darren Waller talking about Tim Tebow trying to move to tight end and all the challenges he faces. Urban Meyer was asked about Tebow, and it seemed kind of a uh, lukewarm response. We'll see how it's going. Maybe he's just trying to lower expectations, or maybe it's not going well. Trying to read into that. Jaguars also in the headlines because they signed Trevor Lawrence to a rookie contract, $36.8 million. $24 million signing bonus and a fifth-year team option. What do you do with a $24 million check? Can you just take that to the bank and deposit it? About half of it. <laughs> right. It's probably direct you, deposit. The other half you get to give, <laughs> give to the state and federal government. Yes. Cough that part up, and no. you can take this. I think you put it in there, and then you have advisors that advise you what to do to make sure it lasts a lot longer, and you build upon it. And I would think that's exactly what he would do. Hard Knocks and the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas is going to make their third appearance on HBO's Hard Knocks in the 20th anniversary season. The first franchise to make three appearances on the show. No surprise there. They got tons of fans. So 
I don't have HBO since it's yep. non-existent Build in my life. on that popularity, right? I have never watched that. Never? I guess we'll see the isolated You've clips. never watched it? No. I didn't have HBO until a couple years ago. Well, now's your chance. I did it last year. I know. I thought yeah, I 20 years. Come on. <laughs> It's one of those deals uh, where my wife called to complain about something and they just unloaded it okay. for free. Now's Go your chance. Yeah. Packers Aaron Rodgers told reporters he spent his offseason working on his mental health status as his future with the franchise remains in question. He says, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to work on my mental health. Haven't dealt with bouts of depression or anything that I think for whatever reason are okay to talk about. If you're talking about mental health, I've just really been trying to think about what puts me in the best frame of mind. What habits can I form that allow me to feel most in my body, most present, happiest? That's what I've been doing. Is that going to make a difference? In what? Well, I think most fans are looking at him for more touchdown passes, more wins, Super Bowl. I'm not sure that's what he's talking about. Hmm. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. The Heisman Trust says former USC running back Reggie Bish can have his Heisman Trophy returned if the NCAA reinstates his award-winning season first. Trust made that announcement Friday after our show. We were talking about this. NCAA doesn't really have any control over the Heisman. That's just a group of people who give out a trophy. But they're going to follow the NCAA's lead on this. Does he have to have the actual trophy to be the Heisman Trophy winner? No, and I think it's one of those things where you can take it away later, but I still automatically think of him as Heisman Trophy winner. Right. He had it, and then they took it away. It's like vacating a trip to the Final Four. Well, I still know you went. Yeah, but I don't think he gets to go on stage when they have that announcement, and you see all the guys who choose to be there are there and all that stuff. So it's more than a little bit of symbolism, too. And he wants it back. I've got no problem with having it, because I don't think that anything that he did out in the field was... Tainted? It wasn't improved by the money that his family got. It was his athletic ability out on the field. I mean, he was such a dynamic college runner. He's fun to watch. Five-star defensive lineman JT Tuimolao committed to Ohio State. He's from Bellevue, Washington, leaving the Pac-12 footprint after considering USC, Washington, and Oregon, kind of the bellwether programs and all that, but he's off to Ohio State. Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama just keep cleaning up. Ready to just... uh, predict them as conference champions and not bother bother opening up any uh, preseason magazines. At least not for that. You can get other stuff out of it, but oh, don't I need to see that. The... I only look at that for the Pac-12. Yeah, I don't pay attention to that other stuff because, yeah, they're going to be there and they'll get enough run uh, in time and then we'll see who the fourth team is. Same old stuff. Terry Donahue winning his coach in Pac-12 Conference history and UCLA history. Later GM of the San Francisco 49ers. Died Sunday at the age of 77 after a two-year battle with cancer. He had the most wins of any coach in Pac-12 history, also the most victories, 98 in conference play, 151 overall. Went to the Rose Bowl as a player, an assistant coach, and a head coach. Coached the Bruins for 20 years from the mid-70s to the mid-90s. Heck of a run right there. So there's no coach that has more than 98 wins? In conference games, apparently, yeah. That surprised me because I thought John McKay would be the, the record holder. That was in all the obits. I did not look it up to see how many John McKay won. I mean, they're playing seven-game schedules when it's an 18 league, so that probably factors in. And I don't know what they do. You know, the Pac-12 reformed out of some other Western conference before that, so I don't know that that counted either. 
Pac-8 formed in the early 60s. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. 1-2 pitch is driven a long way. Left center field toward AutoNation Alley. And done! A home run for Jorge Alfaro. And the Marlins have taken the lead back. It's 5-4 in the eighth. The pitch. Swing and a high fly ball into center field. Did he get enough of it? He thinks he did. Back at the wall. Gone! Rafi was posing. That normally means good things, and it does here. And it's 4-1. Highlights from a streak-ending weekend, holiday weekend. The Dodgers' nine-game win streak is over, although the Cubs' losing streak has reached 10. So if you're looking for... Hot and cold teams in Major League Baseball. There's a couple of them. You heard the Marlins beating the Dodgers there 5-4. to four. Dodgers had a chance to take over first place in the West, but they're right there with the Giants, just a half game back. Angels lost to the Red Sox 5-4. to four. The big news for the Angels, Shohei Otani is both going to pitch and hit in the All-Star game next week in Denver. Nobody's done that before, so now they got to figure out if he's going to start and be the DH and... Then they lose the DH when he comes out or put him in later. I'll have to figure well, they, all that out. They lose the DH. They'll pinch hit. This is the yep. all-star game, It's the all-star buddy. game. They can use a bunch of pinch hitters anyway. <laughs> trying to figure out how to get everybody in a plate appearance anyway. You overthought that one. Dodgers manager Dave Roberts says he does not anticipate pitcher Trevor Bauer returning to their lineup after his Major League Baseball and post seven-day leave ends Friday. MLB can request an extension of seven additional days without, uh, with consent. With, not without, but with consent from the Players Association. Doing so would keep Bauer off the field through the All-Star break, buying more time for an investigation into allegations of sexual assault by Bauer. Yeah, I was told he'll never pitch again for the Dodgers. Never. It's over, one way or another. Yep. What is trending? It's brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up this morning, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, looking ahead to game one of the NBA Finals tonight at 8 o'clock. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk at 9.05. And next, the question of the day. All about the NBA Finals. We will get to that next. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. NBA Finals Game 1 tonight. The Bucks and the Suns in Phoenix. Question of the morning. Since the local Sam Merrill and Elijah Bryant are on the Bucks, are we rooting for them over the Suns? The former Aggie and the former Cougar giving us some local buy-in. I think that's cool that both these kids are in their young and in their NBA. Both of them are rookies. That they're uh, on the team that came out of the East. And they don't play much, but so what? They're in the NBA. Uh, that would be... Now they're in the finals and they get to see the show. 
And you never know what might happen. As far as? Them getting a chance to play. Well, okay. I mean, it's mostly mop-up minutes for get these some guys. garbage time here right. and there. That's mostly what they've been getting. But they overcame tremendous odds. Not and, too many guys coming out of Utah that made the NBA. Sam Merrill's one of them. And then Brian had to go overseas for a couple years at least, right? He's been gone for a while now. In Israel for three years. Yeah, and yeah. Then, so he gets an opportunity. It's a great, great story. They're still twenty. Them. They're still twenty five and twenty six. So, yeah. what was Joe when he showed up here? He was twenty seven, right? Twenty seven. Yeah, correct. I wouldn't count on that though. <laughs> you can, <laughs> ne- you can <laughs> never count that, on that. That one's a little different. <laughs> you can never count on that. You keep trying to give hope. You're to something saying that, there's a chance. Something that isn't hopeful. They're not going to get big minutes in the league. I mean, I know this is TV here, and you want to put a happy bow story on it, but just the fact that they're there—that's the story. There's nothing beyond that. But that's plenty good enough. They get to see the NBA Finals Carnival up close and personal. And they made the NBA. If they never play another second, they made the NBA. And just saying that is something that is steep, steep odds, especially for Merrill, who takes a couple years off, and for Bryant, who started at like an Elon, I think, and then transfers to BYU of the LDS connection and has to go overseas for three years and then gets a taste. That's already, they've already achieved well beyond what most thought, if not all thought possible. So I don't know about going forward. I'm not a female here and we're not having chit chat between stories, buddy. This is the story. Don Don says, it's not the story. We have zero interest in either club, DJ. This is Jazz Nation. Oh, we thought you put the question up, huh? Yep. Or did you put it on Twitter? I put it on Twitter, and I put it over on my Facebook page just to get more responses. Oh, well, our Facebook page isn't good enough. we got to go to the big dog's location. We want more (laughs) reaction. Wow, hijacking the show. (laughs) I put it on my Twitter, my Facebook, so we can get more reaction. Because I'm me, and people come to me, not to you. Hold on. Nice message. I'm going to go create a Facebook page for PK and myself. That wasn't the message, but that's fine. How was that not the message? Yak, was that the message? That was precisely the message. That was not the message. That may not be the message you intended, but you can't control the message once the message is out there. How the message was received was exactly the way I presented it. We're going to do do two (laughs) 20-minute segments on this, and the DJ and PK page got 14 comments. Might need a little more reaction. (laughs) Right. So let's go to the big dog. Exactly. Yeah, or to the only other stuff I have access shovel, to. Give me that shovel, man. You're now at 10 feet. I don't want you to go to 20. <laughs> put it on your Twitter right now, PK. I don't do Twitter very much. And that's why I put it on mine. <laughs> Daniel says... To, you'll do it. Daniel says, my hope of two small market teams in the finals is now a reality. So I'm extremely happy, and I don't really care who wins. But what is small It could market, only though? be better if it were the Jazz in there. I mean, Part of me wants the Suns, because it's a cool story, coming from the bottom of the league to win in the... The ship. It's pretty cool. Well, they haven't won it yet, but uh, is Phoenix really small market? Where do we stop with the small markets? An excellent question. I don't know the answer to it. Uh, Phoenix has boomed and used to be... Uh, You're Mr. Market Guy. I don't yeah, and I'll, have to, and I'll have to look it up. It used to be around Market 20, and I just know that because hey, Phoenix and Denver and, and Sacramento... And Butthead has 18 comments. Oh, cool. I only said 14 on mine. I don't know why. Yeah, well... Poo-poo on you. I got some pull here. 
Not as much as you, obviously. I put it on my Twitter. Yeah, Phoenix is now market 11. So that's officially medium-sized market. Oh, it is? 11? Yeah. That's officially? Officially. <laughs> I just made that up. I know. You know I'm going to question everything. It's 7.30. I haven't got into my light and fluffy TV mood yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But all the Yak knows, too. He just doesn't want to say it and risk your wrath. Hold on. There'd, be, there'd be 12. No, go back 20 <laughs> seconds. To Light and fluffy TV mood. You know how he gets at 9 o'clock? We're aware. People who only listen to the start of the show have no idea at the end of the show. The show starts at 6, buddy. The first two hours is the start, the last two is the end. Later on, when I often would be proud. (laughs) Okay, six to seven thirty. We're still in the first third of the show. Anywho, as market eleven, there'd be twelve teams in bigger markets. There'd be sixteen in smaller markets, and I don't know how to count Toronto. Oh, you just divided by the number. Yeah, so they're basically literally in the middle if you rank. But you went to the league. You didn't necessarily go by market, although a lot of it would be overlap. I get that. Yeah, if if um, there's two teams in New York and L.A., so. Uh, 12 teams in bigger markets. But I think that to your point that I think you're about to make, some markets play bigger than others, and some play smaller. I mean, the Clippers are in L.A., but until recently, eh, so what? You want to be a big market team? Now, the last, I don't know, five to seven years, it's been different. It's been different for they got, a while. They got Chris Paul and Blake Griffin in there. Mm, and, they and, they were, right, and they were a good NBA team. They yeah. solid, yeah. Right. They weren't a joke. Exactly. Which and so before calling years. them a big market team was just a waste of time because, yes, they were in a big market, but it was a joke. But there's also the perception, is this a place you want to be? If you win, yes. Every place is a place you want to be if you win. I mean, the Warriors were in a big market, and they sucked for and years. Another great example. They had ownership issues all through the 90s and the 2000s, and went to one postseason in like 17 or 18 years. That's why I think this market stuff is so freaking overblown. Just overblown. Although I heard Bart Scott go on the other day about nobody wants to live here. I mean, it just, you know, you can say racist things, and it's, if it's against a certain group, it's no big deal. You know, because he went and went right down the stereotypes. And probably has spent very little, if any, time here. But you're just allowed to say whatever. But if somebody else says something, oh my gosh, we've got to have breaking news on Twitter all day yesterday. I mean, it just depends. And, and Jalen Rose can say what he wants, and it just kind of goes away. So I just don't buy it. Players want to go where they're going to get paid, as they should, because it's a very short lifespan. And, uh, relatively speaking, for the career span, yes, yeah, for you're the uh, at. well, life shelf life for the uh, player in a professional sports. If you're fortunate enough to be Chris Paul, great on you. But Sam Merrill and Elijah Bryant are probably not going to be playing 16 years in the NBA. Seems unlikely. Yeah. So grab as much money as you possibly can. There's no doubt about that. And they want to win, and they want to be in stable environments that has good ownership, that has good management. And this market, I get it, it's smaller, but it has all that, and people will come, Ray. They will come. I firmly believe that, and there's done nothing that has just convinced me otherwise. In fact, I'm even stronger now with new ownership that that will happen. 
People weren't flocking to Phoenix. They were not. They once, a, once upon a time they were, but when they had good ownership. Lately, not so much. When Colangelo was running right. the show, and he was the godfather of Phoenix sports, and he knew what he was doing, yeah, they were. But then they got somebody in there who didn't know, and the thing was just down the toilet for many, many years. And nobody was flocking there. I just think that the player deserves more respect for his intelligence. And I just think Jazz fans will flock to agree with you when they see it. They'll want to get their hopes up and have it not happen. Well, there's just no guarantee you're not you're gonna win. If that's that's what you're looking for, that's not there's no guarantee on that. They may that may not happen in your lifetime that they'll they'll win an NBA title. I don't know. May happen next year. Well, that's a full range. That's this is the way it works. I mean, nobody would have predicted Phoenix. You would have picked it. I thought Milwaukee, once they got Drew Holiday, was going to be better than they were because I think he's a better player over Drew Bledsoe. I think it's a no-brainer. Everybody thinks that. So I thought they were better this year than they were last year, and they've had some good records, if not the best, the last couple of years. And this year, even though the record didn't indicate, I thought they were a better team because I believe that Holiday's a better player. But Phoenix, no. I thought top ceiling for them was fourth in the West. If, if... Everything came together. And yet, they got to second, and now they're in the NBA Finals. Yeah, they far superseded it. So who would have picked that? The first team to go to the NBA Finals after missing the playoffs for 10 straight years. Saw that on the the ticker. Yeah, I think it's 11. But uh, amazingly, it's the same owner. Now, Clippers got better. They made a change, obviously. Sterling's out, and Ballmer gets in, and they get going pretty good. And they were decent at the time when... uh, Sterling sold them, if I remember correctly. They were better anyway uh, than they had been when I was living down there, and they were an absolute joke. And then into the 90s continued when I moved up here. So that's an amazing story, too, that the same owner somehow got it right after so many years of getting it wrong. Totally wrong. Yeah. So did he get it right, or the thing he got right was get out of the way and let these people do it? That's getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the finals. You got something right. Whichever way he chose, that was the right way. I mean, James Jones took over. Uh, ex-player, I think James is only like 40 years old, and so he's a recent ex-player, and he ascended to that spot. I think he was an assistant, and then they fired the McDonough dude, and, and, and away he went and took tons of heat for drafting Aiton over Doncic. Uh, Doncic probably be the better individual player, but obviously they don't need Doncic to get to the finals, and they probably needed uh, Aiton. Yeah, so gotta, it worked. Got to have some size, and they got it. Yeah, and he's a good player. He's not just big; he's a good right. player. He's skilled. He can do a lot of different things for you. He's been scoring. He's been rebounding. He's been protecting. And he got the paint. his butt kicked by Chris Paul, and away we've gone. It's a it's an amazing story. He's talked about the impact Paul's had on his career. I would love to see them win. Obviously, I have ties there. I don't personally care, but for the people that I know, that would be fun. And it's a great story. Great stories. I mean, that's where we're about in this business. You're about great stories. And it's a great story. And particularly if Phoenix can do it, why in the world can't the Jazz? What what does Phoenix have over the Jazz? I don't think... Awesome winter weather. I mean, that... Market 11, way bigger. That's... Does anybody go anyplace... 
for weather unless you're retired. And I think course, that it's uh, I think it's way more the money, the playing time, and the relationships. Those are the three things that are going to form most decisions. Now, once you make it, if it happens that you end up with Phoenix, well, okay, that's awesome. January in Phoenix is spectacular. Right, but this is now July. Right. Not not spectacular so at all. They have Spect- to endure this brutal heat. Yes. I pray for them. One one ten? What's it gonna be today? I don't think it's gonna cool off that that much. <laughs> 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 so are you in because they're guys with local ties? And Jack says Sam is the only reason I'm watching the final. Seeing the Jazz uh, had to go and not make it there. I watch many teams just because they have an Aggie that plays for them. Go Aggies. Well, in the NBA, that's the only team you watch. I assume he's referencing the NFL. Now, I think you'll have one next year. I'd say you got Nemius Keta coming up. I'd be surprised. I thought he's been an NBA player for a couple years now. I'd be surprised if he's not playing in the NBA next season. So you'll have two. That's great. Great for them. How about Jay Crowder? Does he do it for you? uh, Brian, that's what he goes to. He says, uh, referencing uh, Elijah Bryan and and, uh, Sam, he says, no, not at all. They don't even play. It would be nice to see Crowder win it. So Jay does it for Brian. He's got good memories from the Jazz years. He's on board. If I remember correctly, I think Joe had said that was his favorite teammate. One of them, if, uh, uh, he may have said that actually. It was my favorite guy yeah. to play with. So, and Joe has played with so many guys, so many international guys. He's an international guy, obviously himself, but he's probably played with guys from, oh man, I couldn't even count the countries, 30, 40? Counting all of his days as a professional. You would think so. Overseas. I mean, playing in Israel and in Spain, I mean, those are he, he all-star teams. I... He probably played there. I don't know if he played for a Grecian team. He played in Greece, but I don't think he played for Greece. But uh, those teams... Played for a Grecian team? uh, You just like saying Grecian, don't you? Um, Grecian formula? He certainly played with a bunch of international guys on those clubs. The Australian club, I think, would have been primarily Australian. His first pro club. Probably a few international guys there, but mostly Australian. I believe it's in uh, the Olympic team. They're all Australian. Good call. Yeah. Brady says... The Bucks, yep, I'm rooting for him, and I'm rooting against Chris Paul. How can you root against Chris Paul? It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would anybody root against Chris Paul? Brady doesn't go into why. Well, why, Brady? Tell me one. Get on our app. Tell me one reason why you would root against Chris Paul. You can use our app. Use the open mic feature. Grab your phone. Download our app. Use the open mic. Send your take in. Because he's a chippy guy, and he gets under your nerves, and he's always complaining to the refs. I think you get on nerves. You don't get under nerves. Under their skin, on their nerves. He gets on their skin, literally. (laughs) (laughs) He is the smaller guy, and that's usually the guy who's popular who people root for. I mean, he's no Muggsy Bogues, but... The six-footer in the NBA is still the smaller guy. At 36 also, years of age, That was the other thing, right? Man. This is like, how many more chances, how many more bites at the apple do you get? You're 36. You're already, you're already given father time a beating. You could have easily been done three or four years ago. This is ago. a little bit of a John Elway story. At the very end. Yeah. Can you finally break through? Yeah. Elway won his last two seasons in the league. Yeah. I guess the difference is Chris Paul had not been to the finals. And John Elway had been to multiple Super Bowls. But as far as winning it all right at the end. Which makes it even sweeter. Before you take a bow and walk off the and stage. And he goes to a team, you're thinking, all right, 
Here's a decorated player in the league. I think we'd all agree with that. And if you don't like him, fine. But he's still a decorated player, right? He's going to the Hall of Fame. So you think, all right, they got something going on in Houston. And then, boom, he gets traded OKC, and they're in the midst of rebuild. And then they're going to be in the midst of even more rebuild. So they jettison him. Well, they don't send him to the Lakers like Letter Carrier did and and who else? Peyton did, Mm -hmm. trying to basically... You're not going to a ring team. At the end. You're not going to a team that yeah. was already one of the top two. Right. Or three I mean, they in the had league. Shaq and Kobe and right. Phil, right? And so you try to piggyback that. This isn't a Durant here by any stretch. He goes to a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in 11 years, and he's 36 years old, and he doesn't cause any stink. He doesn't say, "Wait a second, this sucks. I got no chance here. I'm going to wind my way out, a la James Harden, and get to the Nets." He doesn't do any of that. He goes willingly, at least publicly anyway. And look at how it turns out. How do you not love that story? That is a phenomenal story. I don't know that it compares to anything ever in the league's history. I'm not a historian of the league, so I can't really say. But off the top of my head, what compares to this story? In its uniqueness of this individual story, there's a tons, there's a million stories in the West or whatever that expression is. What's that expression? Something out there. But this is a phenomenal story. How do you not love this story? A million stories in the naked city. There it is. Something like that. Thank yeah. you. I knew you'd have it. <laughs> the big city. Okay. What, what makes it so unusual is the bouncing around at the end of his career. I mean, to go to four different teams in the last five years. Yeah, and but, your point, if you got to Houston and did it, I mean, Houston was already in the top two or three in the league. Yeah. That would have been like Malone and Peyton going to the Lakers. But like Malone and Peyton going to the Lakers, they didn't pull it off in Houston. Well, like they, they didn't pull it off in L.A. And they haven't pulled it off yet. But the prospects of just getting to this point the Lakers, when they got those guys getting to the finals, was not the – there was really – I don't remember, but I don't think it was, was much celebration. No, it was in it was the expected. West. In that era, it was the Lakers and the Spurs and everybody else in the West. So you were already – you had one team to get by to get to the finals. Bouncing around at the end of your career is not that unusual. Lajuan did it. Ewing did it. Barkley did it. Pippen What's did a, it. Right, but what makes it unusual is that they were hanging on. They were no longer franchise guys. They weren't going to go out there and be the guy, take the big shot. I don't know if you can say he's carrying the team. because leading the team. more on Booker, but he's leading the team. Whereas they were clearly... They two massive games and closeout games. Right, and they were way past their prime. They were not going to drop 41 in a closeout. Yeah, but I don't think anybody thought Paul was going to drop 41 in a closeout game to get to the NBA Finals. He did, and they didn't. And that makes the story different. So it was not... I thought he was going to be an okay player, but I had no idea right. we'd and have this they, level of impact. If they had gotten to fourth in the West and won a playoff series at the start of the year, massive that would have, yeah, that would have seemed like a really good year and a great outcome. But they been. get to second in the league, and they're one game away from having the best record in the league, so you ratchet the expectations up, and they follow through on them. Yeah, I don't even know that I did ratchet the expectation. I get your theory on paper. But I didn't know that. I didn't think they were going to beat the Lakers. And sure, they took advantage of Davis being hurt. But that's the way it goes. I mean, they, if you're, and I've heard it a million times from Suns fans. Steve Nash, his bloody face couldn't stop bleeding. 
and uh, in one series, and then he gets hip-checked, and they lose Stoudemire, who was a premier player, and Boris Diaw when they have a 3-2 lead over the Spurs, and then the Spurs, I believe, sweep the Nets. So, and, and Stoudemire and DL didn't run on the court. They ran to assist Steve Nash, who literally was hip-checked by Ori, into the scores table. And so they took like a half a foot across the sideline, but not to go cause any problem, and they get suspended. So if you bring up anything as far as, yeah, but down there, you better do it on your way out of town. No one will go into why, but Twitter, which I did because, you know, I'm, I don't know, what was I, Power, Power Man? Why did I put it on Twitter? Twitter, you're bigger than me. Okay. Carlton says, why would we Literally ever... and physically. Why would we ever root for Chris Paul? And Eric likes that. Why would we ever root for... Because it's a phenomenal story. Tyson, why would we? Yeah, and Ray, we are rooting for anyone that is playing against Chris Paul. That makes no sense. What has he done to How much is this? Is this like animosity? left over from the Darren Williams thing like 12 years ago or 15 years ago? Who's okay. better? We all remember those no. debates between well, him and Darren, yeah, but... This well, that's is a, been settled for years. I know, but this is a career resurgence unlike many you see because he had so many playoff failures, the 3-1 losses. This makes no sense to me. Yeah. I need a deep explanation or at least a cursory explanation rather than I don't like Chris Paul. That's, this isn't deep. I was going to say that's it's more of something. It. Hopefully we'll get deep on the other side of the break here. Greg D says, I'm rooting for the Bucks because Chris Paul is annoying and it should be our jazz there instead of the damn Suns. So jealousy. Well, annoying and jealousy. Now that I can understand. But the Suns, did t- they took nothing from you. Yeah, they didn't beat you. Clippers beat you. And they beat the Clippers. Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand that logic. The, the Suns are a story that I think you would love, that the, you know, the, the rising from the ashes, and obviously the name Phoenix, so it's somewhat ironic there, because they were in the toilet for so long. And they hit, they missed on so many draft picks. Why, why wouldn't you be mad at uh, Devin, Devin Booker? He could have been yours. He was sitting there, and management decided Trey Lyles was a better player, or a better fit, or both. Whatever, whatever it was that yeah. did it, they decided to pick the other guy. Yeah, and then Trey missed the shot that might have sent Canada to the Olympics. And then he Foot was up. right there to be had. Uh, so why wouldn't you be irritated at Devin Booker? Actually, this guy just says, you know, it's not so much Chris Paul for me. I don't know why anyone would root for Devin Booker. <laughs> now, Devin just, Booker has done jack until they scored a ton of points, and but he's. He's had a breaking out. Devin Booker is now a national player. Before he was a local player. I remember when he scored 70 as one guy just criticized him. I thought, oh, so if he scored 50, it would be more legitimate? <laughs> he was chasing points at the end. Well, it turns out he's a really good player. He could do it on the biggest stage. He just needed some teammates. Give him a veteran point guard and have that uh, talented uh, young guy mature and develop. And then he's ready to cash in. Yes. But you don't get to do it by yourself. So they, they missed on so many high picks, and they hit to a good degree on Aiton, and they hit to a great degree on Booker, Booker, and they hit to a good degree on Bridges. 
which I think was a trade draft day, if I remember correctly. But that's still that's basically that's the good same. Enough, yeah. yeah. So I think they hit on those three. And then they filled out the roster like most teams do. Pick up players wherever you can. And here they are. That's a great story, man. I I don't understand why people would be uh, rooting against them for these other reasons. I have yet to hear a good reason why you would root against them. Put it out there on Twitter and we'll see if people uh, hit us up. Yeah, now the world has it. My little Facebook, it's just like, you know, maybe one tenth of one million. You don't ever do anything. It's mine, essentially. I'm the administrator. But once you put it on your social media, Katie, bar the friggin' door. I mean, this is like Malachi with the tithing. You just open the windows, and the responses are just going to come flooding in. And now I see what you're doing as a spiritual man that you are. The connection right there is so obvious. And I'm not talking about Malachi Flynn, the Aztec basketball player. Oh, I don't well, know Malachi's last name. I, they just should have put in last names in the great book. You know? I mean, for all we know, it could have been Nephi Sewell. Who knows? We don't know his last name, right, Yach? Just, just running through all the names on <laughs> rosters in your head now. Nephi Sewell, that was a stretch. Why is that a stretch? I'm saying, how do we you know in your great book professional that, that it could have been his last name was Sewell? Football. He could literally be a descendant of Nephi. Yach and it stretch. Could have been Nephi Yerne. Sewell. You're the judge. You don't know that. You don't know that what at am all. I judging on here? Yeah, stretch. You, 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 stretch or no? No. Pro basketball to college football. That was a stretch. No. Isn't a stretch. Okay, yeah. fine. I'll ask. <laughs> Dang it. You pulled Malachi and Nephi out of... Malachi the, that's Flynn. That's what makes it impressive no, because went, went it was Malachi a stretch. Flynn. And once, once there was the Aztec, it wasn't a stretch. But then when it went to football in the Utes because he hates the Utes, that was a stretch. I rest my case. Wait a minute. I, I thought I worked at Channel 2 and I love the Utes. I get so confused. You can't win. Just You're jealous. I can't. You're like Chris Paul here to these people. <laughs> Chris. Your team didn't get the invite. Oh, they did. The only thing I got in common with Chris Paul is I'm six feet tall. There it is. There it is. Oh, you got handles. They're just called love handles. hey oh, <laughs> Free association with PK. Holy smokes. <laughs> and by the way. And you get this for free. This, this is, is a satellite. You don't have to pay for this. This is closer to 9 o'clock PK than you usually get to see in the 7 o'clock hour. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, We do want to know, what about CP3 annoys you? Why does he turn you up? Why does he anger you? Why do you root against him? What is the emotion specifically, and why do you have it? And we'll get to that coming up. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON on your home of the the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Top 60 and 60 is back on The Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we can't you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 60 and 60, presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on The Zone Sports Network. So I have come up with a, a singular reason. It's a little bit of a reach, but I got it. And that would be? 
that Chris Paul, if he wins a title, will get more acclaim than Stockton. Oh. Uh, LG just tweeted at us. He flops. He complains incessantly. He's the epitome of the difference between the NBA today and basketball the way it should be played. First cousin to John Stockton right there, who obviously played basketball the way it should be played. Stockton combs his hair the way your hair should be combed. <laughs> he wears polo shirts the way polo shirts should he be worn. He eats his vegetables the way you're supposed to eat vegetables. Now, the only thing he did, apparently, was speak out against the vaccine. And then people who were employed told him he was wrong for criticizing the lockdowns. Those are two different things. They are two different things. But that happened. I guess he criticized that. I never even heard it. I didn't listen to it either. I didn't want to pay the money. The clips were pulled, though. It was written about. doesn't seem to be debated. So I'm taking it at face value as it was reported. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. But other than that, he does everything. Will he get more acclaim, Chris Paul? I heard somebody, and I got the satellite now, and there are like 50 talk shows at any given time. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So I can't remember where I heard it. Okay. Uh, There's so many. Fox, ESPN, and beyond that. So I just flick around and just, you know, when I'm driving or I'm bored, because I, I preset the thing, you just hit the thing. You don't even have to, it's right on your uh, steering wheel, right? And so somebody was saying that this put Chris Paul into his top five. I can see that. I can see that argument being but made. But he didn't have stock in his top five. I can see that argument being made. Really? Yes, because the further you get down, the records are cool. But there are a lot of people who are going to value championships over records. Chris and Paul so you, hasn't won one. Right. But if he wins it, it's going <laughs> to fall into the top five. They put him in five. there. Just the fact that he did what he did oh. this year. Put him, and I can't remember who said it, because as I say, there's a million voices out there now. And then you got NBA radio, and they run through a whole bunch of It's like you said, there's a guys. ton out there. Yeah. yeah. So, I get that somebody would get that because I think this also, guy's list was Magic, uh, Steph, Oscar Robertson. That's a pretty good list so far. What I got three. <laughs> I'm liking that list. And who was the other one? Who was Isaiah? Isaiah, and then uh, right, Chris Paul. And you like the list? Ahead of John Stockton? When I said I like the list, you had three names. You don't like Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, and Steph Curry? That's 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 an awesome list. That's not a question of whether I don't like them or not. I like the top 25 I like. Well, you listed three, and I liked them. Okay, how about that? And I think those would be my top three. Great top three. Yeah. How in the crap am I going to argue with that? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was getting at. But the championships, I mean, it's going to happen. Also, you're going to have, and we can't debate this because you don't know who the person was, so we don't know. I don't. But if you get a host who's 30, they are not going to have seen John Stockton's career. It doesn't matter. It, does, it, does, no, it, it matters no. to a degree. You can look stuff Records, up. Records, but the all-time assists, come on. Yeah. You don't need to have seen 15,000 assists. But it still makes an impact if you saw the games and saw the drama and saw the moments and saw the way he handled them. It's a it's everybody, bias. Everybody saw him, if for no other reason that his two finals losses were to Jordan. 
So what you're telling me is in 15 and 20 years, Jordan is not going to be considered the great, greatest all time because that that time will pass. I don't buy it. Don't you think that's what's working against Russell? No. That a lot of people doing the no. list saw Jordan. There was like six or eight teams in the league, and there was no free agency. Once you got a team and you had a GM or president or wherever the heck Arback was, was smarter than the other guys, you would stand to reason that you would win every year because nobody went anywhere. So, no, there I was think no, there's other there, things that stand in the way for Bill Russell. Well, the A-team league, of course, his supporters, and he himself would tell you, well, the best players were in the league. You just let in more players who weren't as good when you went from 8 to 20. I disagree on that. Maybe when you went from 8 to 20, but when you went from 20 to 30 or whatever it is, no, I think there's great players now all over the world. And That has certainly changed. A Luka Doncic did not exist in those days. Where's he from? Slovenia? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And there was, when international players came over here, they were basically right. one trick ponies. Or they we kept hearing for years, Sabonis, oh, you should have seen him when. Right. We but heard then that you for got like to, 10 years. But then you got to an era that had Ginobili and had Nowitzki. That, that barrier or obstacle or hurdle or whatever has long since been shattered. Right. If you're a great player over there, you're a great player over here. It's the same thing with MLB. Shohei Itani. You were a great player over there. I'm okay. It took you a couple years to get your feet under you. But and look at your health. And health. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, wow, you're probably the MVP of the American League if the season ended today. And we're pretty much right now at the halfway point. So th- that stuff, I don't bat an eyelash. If you're a great player wherever you came from, there's a good chance that you'll be a great player here. Eudor Ski says, I hate Chris Paul because we should have drafted him in 2005, and instead we drafted Darren Williams. Well, is that why you hate Clay Thompson? Is that why you hate <laughs> Kawhi Leonard? Everybody, everybody the Jazz. Paul George. Everybody the Jazz ever passed on. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they passed on Paul George. Yeah, it was, did Paul go? Uh, yeah, I think he went one spot after Gordon Hayward, didn't he? Uh, so you hate on them because your team, and I got to come clean at the time, I thought Darren Williams was absolutely the right pick. Yeah, bigger guy, more durable guy. Wasn't yeah. going to have as many injuries. I thought he was a better player. Yeah. And head-to-head, his team won. But I don't now, get of course, paid to make those decisions. You also have, you know, was the team better and was the well, coaching staff better? And Clearly, but, I would take Chris Paul over Dan Williams. Well, the way it worked out, sure. Yeah. I mean, Darren's career ended. I mean, it ended. There's no well, debate. Well, his basketball career ended. He was up at Glen Wild this weekend playing golf. Got a kid. <laughs> Crush it. That guy is addicted to golf. <laughs> And that's a good addiction. It's a healthier one anyway than, than we normally associate the word addiction. But uh, so, yeah, I it's hard for me to criticize when I was thinking, yeah, they absolutely made the right pick. And he was a, he was a very good player in his own right for the relatively short time he was here. But obviously Chris Paul is a more decorated player. <laughs> Coach Witt probably, at Witt probably, which obviously means probably not. Uh just sent him, why do you hate Chris Paul? He just sent a gif of him running up to DeMarcus Cousins, shoving Cousins, and then flopping backwards and yelling. It's a 100% flop. Man, they must really hate soccer. Created out of thin air. Greg D. says the constant chirping at the refs. He repeatedly initiates contact and then flops. There must be a reason every team he's been on has had a gut full of him by year three. Well, he played six years in New Orleans and six years in Clippers, but... The narrative. I hate that. The narrative. The narrative drives me nuts. How about the story? The narrative. 
Look at me. I'm intelligent. I know a bigger word than story. Yes. Yak, remind me to use the word narrative going forward. I'll forget by tomorrow. Kendall says because he took the limelight away from his brother Cliff. Ah. Is DJ that type of brother? And he's got the gif of Cliff Paul, State Farm. Well, you often steal a limelight from me, but we're not brothers. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, talking NBA Finals. He'll join us next. And Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk at 9.05. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought currently, and that's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Game one, NBA Finals. Who you got? Uh, the Suns at home. You know, with all the unknowns with Giannis and what's going on, I I, I, I think it'd be silly to to bet against the Suns at home, uh, who or who are healthy. And you know, this has been a postseason that seems to be defined by injuries. And uh, both these teams have they've had their own set of injuries, obviously, and uh, but they've also benefited from you know the Suns playing the Lakers without LeBron and AD and Jamal Murray for Denver and. Why Clippers, and you look at Giannis, and he's been out himself, but you look at the Bucks, and, uh, you know, whether it was Trey Young and the Hawks or, uh, you know, situations that, uh, I don't know that Miami was hurt or missing people, but it just seems like both teams have been able to survive and get through this thing with injuries. I mean, the Nets didn't have Kyrie or Lake and uh, didn't have James Harden either, so... It's just been a year defined by injuries, but I think right now the Suns are probably the most prepared and healthiest to win this thing. Uh, I'm sure that's probably what the experts feel too, but uh, I'm looking forward to this series. I'm really, really hoping that Giannis is healthy enough to play because I think this is going to be a great matchups. We're going to really see coaching staff really work to try to take away what each likes to do. I'm actually kind of excited about the series, and uh, I don't really have any – you know, any skin in any one of these teams in game. But uh, I, I think it looks for a great matchup and two very, very different teams. I was wondering if you saw little parallels between what you did at BYU and rebuilding that program and what the Suns have done. Yeah, you know what? I, I Most of my life, uh, from high school to junior college to at the Division One level, everything's kind of been a rebuild. And the one thing that really impresses me about Monty Williams like a lot of the NBA coaches, there there is a great culture there. There's great energy. You got young players. None of them have really done this before. Never been in a finals, and it, it all and it always takes some leadership. You know, I mean, for, for every team I've had, there's been that guy. When I was at BYU and we built that thing, really, you know, McKelly was Wesley was a young man that was kind of the heart and soul of that team, and and, and Chris Paul is the heart and soul of the, of the Suns team, and. Uh, and, re- and really both. I mean, I, I think back in the early 70s, the Bucks won a title. Uh, and, you know, the Suns have never won one. So, yeah, they, these are two major rebuilds. Button Holder has, has done a really good job, and they've put in some new pieces. So I, I really like the matchups. I mean, I was sitting there the other day just thinking, you know, who's going to guard who and what's going to happen. And, 
And I, I'm thinking, I'm wondering, you think P.J. Tucker guards Booker? I'm, I mean, I'm thinking that'd be a good matchup for the Bucks and, and, uh, and you know, how they're going to do holiday guards. Chris Paul, you know, there's some strong guys that they really haven't seen uh, that kind of girth and size. So I think defensively, for the Bucks to win this thing, especially if Giannis is hurt, they're going to have to really defend. And it's never an easy thing to do with all the pick and rolls and between Chris Paul and, and, and Devin Booker. I mean, they run all of that. And I, and I think the Bucks kind of defensively play, have played a little bit differently with teams they played. I just, you know, you can't sag on these guys. Both Booker and uh, and Chris Paul are such great mid-range shooters that that's where the advantage I, th- I think comes with the, with the Suns and and the fact that they seem to be pretty healthy. So watching uh, Monty Williams' uh, press conference this weekend, um, it, I wasn't really struck by it because I'd already seen him do this, but it just kind of reinforced, you know, he's just uh, kind of thoughtful, calm, measured. And, and Steve, you're a little older than PK and I, but you're not that much older than us. And I think all of us grew up with coaches. And maybe it was something about, you know, the Depression and World War II. And if our coaches didn't go through them, they were raised by people who did and mentored by people who did. But that old school yelling coach with the whistle, like, you just can't get further away from that than where pro sports coaching, especially the NBA, has gone now. What, is that just because everything has changed? Were, were those coaches a product of those times? Would something different have worked better then? I mean, it just, it's just night and day. You know, it is, that's a great thought. Um, because I, you know, I kind of grew up with a, a few coaches that were kind of yellers and screamers. And yet I had, a, I had a college coach, Tim Tift, who no one in, the, you know, in Utah, I'll say Utah's going to know who he is. But but uh, he he was he was my coach there, and he he was he was like a Monty Williams, you know. I mean, he he was he was really technically had a high basketball IQ, was a great offensive coach, and uh, but always treated us with respect. I mean, he held us accountable, but he did it in a way that wasn't demeaning. And 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 certainly in the NBA today, it is a players' league. But I, that can be the connotation there can be well, yeah, the players run the league and they do what they want to do. Well, I mean, maybe in some situations, but at the end of the day, if, if you're a guy that can't communicate with young people and, and you can't share your vision in a positive way, you don't last long in the NBA. You just don't. I mean, and, and obviously people stay in the league winning, but when you look at changes and coaching changes, and there's lots of them, uh, how, how do guys that lose jobs get jobs back so quickly? Well, all of them kind of today, for the majority of the coaches, have that kind of, uh, mindset and uh, and, that, and that's kind of how they think today. And I I think it's a it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think the fact that the league has changed, that they understand that uh, in order to be successful, and I think in anything long term, I don't think berating and being demeaning and being spiteful and treating people that way ever long term works. Right? It doesn't work in personal relationships. It doesn't work in marriages. It doesn't work in business. And yes, we could probably find people that, you know, didn't treat people nicely that were successful. But were they really successful? <laughs> you know, in the end of the day, if everyone despises you and is afraid of you, that no, I don't care what your record is, that's not success at any level. And so, yeah, I I love that thought because uh, Monty Williams is is a guy that you just you just want to play for him. You know, and there's a lot of coaches like that in the NBA that they're respectful 
And that doesn't mean they can't be intense and get upset and get after you, but there is a there is a respect player coach that uh, sometimes at the high school I really see I used to really see it at the high school level. Oh my goodness, uh, where guys would just berate people, and uh, I've I've had good examples. I, tell, I I remember, though I do remember my first year at Clovis West High School. I just graduated. I'd taken a job there teaching and coaching. I was we only had ninth and tenth graders. It was a brand new school, and so anybody that could play was with on the varsity, and I had the JV team. And I never forget uh, a young man really kind of just defied me and said, no, I'm not going to do that, and just started going off. And, and I just kind of lost my mind. And immediately I started I kind of started running at the kid. <laughs> and I mean, I'm probably 23 years old. And, I, and he had said something. He had cursed at me and said something, and I just took after him. And he started running. And you can visualize this, me chasing this young man <laughs> around the gym until I cornered him. And I had both hands above his head. You know how you lean on a wall, and and, uh, and I, I can't even remember what I did. But it just for a moment, I thought, oh, you know, I, I realized what I had done, and I had lost my mind here as a 23-year-old new JV coach in high school. And and, and I got through it. And fortunately, in, in today's world, I probably got fired the next day and got called in the principal's office. But never, nobody ever knew about it. But that was, you know, there are times when you feel like doing things you shouldn't, but I think I, I just had good mentors and people around me that helped me to, to be smart about those things and to treat people the right way. And uh, so I love the fact that you brought that up about Monty because he does seem to have a great relationship and a rapport with his guys. Okay, but there's some times that maybe you need to go off, and I'm thinking San Diego State, Arujo doesn't block out, I think, a guy named Joe Mann. You take him out in about two minutes into the game, and one of your assistants, who went on to a fairly good uh, success as a head coach, uh, really lit into him, and I think that young man got the message. Yes, he did. No, <laughs> and listen, we, you, there are lots of those moments. There's no question. And... Uh, I've had those moments with assistant coaches, <laughs> you know, where, uh, you know, sit down, be quiet, and probably a little bit different verbiage, but whatever. No, I mean, you have those. And, and you have to have a combination of that. And uh, I, I think you do have to – there are times you do have to get after guys, but you do it in a positive way. You come back to them. They know – you know, you can discipline people and you can get after guys if they know that they trust you. And I think that the situation is that you can't just all of a sudden become somebody that you're not. And then all of a sudden you're saying inappropriate things and you're losing your mind when, you know, they've never seen you like that. When, and that's why relationship building is so important in teams, because absolutely. I mean, I, there's hundreds of times where uh, in practice or in games where I kind of lost my mind, but it was always a situation that I was reinforced by, you know, the love you have for the kid, you love his passion, you got to do this. We can't win with that. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those things do happen. I'm not suggesting that we never discipline or that we never get after guys because you have to. But you got, they got to know, you got to have a relationship with people to do that. You know what I mean? You just can't all of a sudden be somebody you've never been. Then you lose all respect and all trust with whoever you're coaching. Steve, you coached for a long time. J.C. Ball, BYU, Fresno State. The name, image, and likeness thing has been coming for a while. And now the first few days in, there's deals cut almost immediately. 
Where is this going? Can you give us one or two unintended consequences of this? Because we're sure there's going to be a lot of them. Well, I think the first thing is how you legislate it and how you administer it. And uh, there's so many things that they still don't even know that are going to happen. I mean, we just, and I'm not an expert on this. I've read what you've read and uh, trying to get an understanding and I'll be honest with you, I don't think it's going to impact that many athletes, to be honest with you, when it's all said and done. Uh, I'm sure the really elite athletes, there's going to be some, you know, there's a benefit to them in some situations. But if, if young people are thinking that people now are just going to line up and want to give them money at a time when uh, we've gone through so many things uh, in life here with COVID and businesses going out of business and this and that, that... I think it would be foolish to think that that there are going to be a lot of student athletes that actually really benefit from this. I, I suspect there will be. You're, you're open a Pandora's box here where we don't know what the consequences are. And certainly, I, I get how the legal system came to the point where they are, uh, but I, I'm just not sure. I'm guarded watching this to see how it's going to play out. And there's so many unknowns, and, and maybe because of my conservative nature. And never really, I mean, you know what, they're, they're, it's true. I mean, these young men, I, I remember, I mean, it's different today even than when I was coaching. I mean, you couldn't buy a kid a meal. You, you couldn't get a milkshake for them. You couldn't, they, you couldn't send them home when they had, their parents were sick or ill. I mean, there were so many restrictions that everything was a violation. Everybody said, well, oh, yeah, we, we, they run a Nobody was running a clean program because there was unintended things that happened in every program that led to sometimes more serious you know, ramifications. But at the end of the day, you, you look back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, 90s, the, the student athlete was, wasn't given a whole lot. You know, I mean, yes, there was opportunities. And you could say, oh, they got an education, you know, and all of those things. But there were a lot of things we couldn't do that made it really difficult. Now all of a sudden we've gone full circle where the perception is that they can be paid, they're going to make money, they can get have you know contracts with uh, businesses and things and anything that whether it's jerseys or likeness of their jersey or their face or whatever it might be, man. It, it, and I, I know this is something they've been thinking about, and a lot of smart people have kind of gone forward with this thing, but I have no idea how this is going to play out. Other than I, my gut feeling tells me that it really is not going to impact that many people. Now, I, you know, a year from now we have this conversation, and you see you are dead wrong. But for me, from the outside looking in, I just don't see how many young people are really going to benefit from it. I wonder at a place like BYU if they could benefit it more than other schools because of the religious connection. Uh, you look at these guys when they go on into the pro ranks. Like you can't drive around. You may have noticed it because I know you spent some recent time here with your son along the Wasatch Front. You see pictures of Taysom Hill and Daniel Sorensen of the Chiefs and of the Saints. I don't even know what they're advertising, but I see their faces on the billboards, and there is that connection because of the religious connection. And certainly we understand a kid like Jimmer. If this would have been around in Jimmer's day, yeah. my goodness, I mean, he would own <laughs> half the town. Uh, so exactly. that's that's a high-level exception. But I wonder, because of that the LDS connection, if that could pay off a little bit more because there would be a closer association with that kid. 
I, I think there's, that there could be because there is a connection, not just as a student athlete, but at, they, they share the same faith. And, and it's a very connected group of people worldwide. And so, yeah, I, I think that possibly could connect. And uh, they have passionate fans, as all schools have really passionate fans. But most schools, I mean, you know, if you're at Notre Dame, I'm not sure that every young man that is a student that goes to Notre Dame is a Catholic, but there is a connection there as well, you know, where, but that, that's a different situation. Whereas in Utah, the, the, a lot of the membership of the church lives in, in the West, and specifically a lot of members in the state of Utah where BYU is. And so, yeah, I, I could see that where there's such passionate fans that they may look for ways to, yeah, you know what, uh, I, I think we support this young man, and we'd like to have him represent our country, our company. So I could see that happening more there than, than I would at Fresno State where I live and watch. Right. And, uh, and there's some high-level, Aaron Judge playing for the Yankees, who was, was a baseball player there. You had Paul George playing basketball, Derek Carr playing football. Those were all high-end you know, uh, professional athletes. But I, I don't see that community at any time really being in a position to do the things that they're asking to do because it's it just they didn't get that kind of support. So most of their notoriety money was made at the next level. And uh, But you never know. I mean, I, I know there's two twin basketball players from Fresno State who have like a gazillion followers on Twitter and this and that, and they're trying to, to make money out of this thing. So I, I guess it can happen in every community, but there's a big difference, for instance, in the two communities that I live in terms of the relationship between fans and players. And, uh, and certainly I could see that at BYU uh, because of the church. Not because the church has anything to do with it, but because there's such a connection. I think it just comes down to that most state universities, most public schools are naturally geographically based. And you look at Army, Navy, Air Force, Notre Dame, and BYU – those five have far-flung fan bases that are digitally connected. They ju- they have to be. Yes. And be- once you have the digitally connected fan base, you've got digital businesses appealing to them, and those businesses may want players from those schools in a way that fill-in-the-blank state university. Yeah, I know Ohio State's got a national rep, but did- most of those state universities just don't. Yeah. No, I, I-, I really like that thought. I am really actually – given that thought where they could benefit, but from that digital businesses, you're right. And, and, you know, and, and, and young people, they're prepared for that. I mean, they, they live in a digital world. They, they know the digital world. And uh, so you have two groups that can connect because of that. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's a great thought, David. I mean, I, I think that, uh, that that is an area that would, would bring people together and, you know, no generation has been more digitally in tune than the one we live with today. One of the things that makes me a little bit concerned is that some of these guys who don't come from much all of a sudden may get some money, and then you get a bunch of hanger-oners that are just going to try to pilfer it and all of a sudden going to buddy up to these guys and because they, they already get it to an extent, but now it could be even more. And I, I'm concerned the kid is going to be young, obviously, and he's going to get this money potentially because you see it at the pro rank, but now it happens even earlier, and it may cause some problems. You see that? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm sure that presidents of schools and athletic directors, and I, and I know most schools are supportive, and, and I've listened to people who are supportive of it, 
but they better have things in place. <laughs> and, and as big as an organization as the NC2A has been with all the rules, and I'm not suggesting 100 more rules because there, there have been so many NC2A violations throughout the years at you know, most universities at some time or another. And this really opens the door to uh, inappropriate things that could potentially happen. And so I think more than anything, the responsibility lies with the institution. And they better have things in place. They better have staff in an athletic organization. They better have staff, uh, you know, with uh, the booster groups. And they better, you know, they certainly have got to monitor this in ways that they've never done before. And everything's so new. And I'm sure they're going to learn. And, and probably there are going to be some mistakes and there's going to be some inappropriate things happen because they already have been happening. And now we're opening the door to it and saying it's okay. How do we define that? Uh, how are we going to legislate it? Uh, how how we're going to be judicious about this? And when somebody does something, what are you know? How is the NC2A going to be involved in this and monitoring it? And or maybe it's just the institutions that monitor. Well, that that opens a door that you know could really really lead to some inappropriate things happening. So I can't imagine an institution. And it's happened so quickly, so they haven't had a lot of time. But uh, to, to, to keep things in order, they, they, they'd have to have now a group of people at the, each institution that are monitoring it and managing it, besides the kids who need to be educated. And I'm sure right now when school starts, everybody's going to be completely educated, and maybe they've already started doing it now. But every student athlete has to be educated about what, what's appropriate, what isn't. Because anybody that turns an eye, blind eye to that is, is going to lead themselves down a road where all of a sudden the NCAA is going to be way more involved in the, in the judicial part of this where schools are in trouble. And, and it wasn't maybe meant. It's just that had inappropriate monitoring. And listen, I, I have had a lot of experience uh, with the NC2A when I was at Fresno when uh, I met with the NC2A for things that had happened there. And... Uh, it was uh, it wasn't a pleasant experience. It, it wasn't about anything that I had done or been, but it was something that I was had to manage and fix. And and I know what that feels like to sit in a room with a bunch of attorneys and presidents and everybody else to talk about how we're going to monitor this. And now we have something everybody seems to be really excited about. And, and I don't have any issues with with kids being compensated for their likeness and if it's appropriate. Hey, good for them. I mean, that's good for them and good for the institution, but you better monitor it and, and, and it better be done in an appropriate way. Otherwise, we're going down a road here that uh, could be pretty destructive to people, to programs and to businesses. Steve, we'll leave it there for now. I'm sure we will revisit this down the line. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for a few minutes and yep. we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. His take on the finals coming up in 30 minutes right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Bob Casper of Real Golf Radio. Is it allowed for a caddy to give his player like a shoulder ride or piggyback ride from hole to hole? (laughs) They're not linebackers. They're not going to give their caddy. 
Bob Casper has probably given thousands of interviews. And today he was asked if a caddy can give his golfer a piggyback ride. You try to give somebody a piggyback through Augusta. Are you kidding me? All the hills up and down? While carrying their bag? While carrying their bag. Are you? their bag and them. Imagine if it's El Pato. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, eat more beef, Larry. Like, I can't go another step. Either can I, beefs. I'm crying over here. Either can I. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5. 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, has joined us going to join us coming up at 9.05. We've been talking this morning about the question of the day. Who are you rooting for in the NBA Finals? The argument for the Bucks. well, there's the guys with the local ties. Sam Merrill played at Utah State. Elijah Bryant played at BYU. They're 25 and 26 years old now. NBA rookies, and they're pretty much playing garbage time here. If they get in, then there's either a lot of injuries and a lot of guys missing, or this is a 25-point game. So it's not that they're going to play a lot, but it's still a local tie, and some people are, uh, are all about that. And then there's also people who are rooting for or against Chris Paul. There are people who we have heard from who are pumped up that a guy in his mid to late 30s, depending on what you consider 36, I guess, but late in his NBA career, having his best postseason run ever with a club that no one saw this coming. They hadn't been in the playoffs in 11 years. 11 years. And... If they got in, it was, hey, be the four seed, win a series. So the fact that they were the two seed and they won three series. 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 <laughs> is amazing. Now, there are people, and we're getting the gifts of Cliff, of Cliff, of Chris Paul. That's his cousin or yeah, something. Yeah, his right? brother for the his State brother? Farm ads. Yeah. Okay, right. And of him Glasses flopping. Glasses and a mustache. They look alike. Right. Of him flopping, and uh, we're hearing about the whining and complaining, and they don't like him. So you should, you should love this, though. He split the audience down the middle. Yeah, but see, if you root against Chris Paul, that means you don't want Monty Williams to win. Oh, you can't, you can't divide and conquer there. You don't well, want Jay about? Crowder to win. And we have we have gotten posts on on Twitter. Jay Crowder, there are people pulling for Jay. Got good memories of him with the Jazz. It seems impossible to root against Monty. There's just no way. I mean, come on, look what he's been through. Look what he's done, and he's done it in such a dignified manner. I mean, I don't want to go crazy because I don't know the man, but from what I've heard. If we got more people in this world like Monty Williams, this world is going to be much better off. I mean, stuff that I've read about him and what he's done, it's just unbelievable. I mean, the, the type of human being that he is. Plus, if you're rooting against Chris Paul, you have to root against Steve Blake, who's one of their assistant coaches. And who doesn't remember Steve Blake? Most of our listeners. Come on, he played for Maryland. They won a national championship. Back in the day. And who was the other guy? There was a, another it guy was. who got yeah. a lot of run, but Steve Blake ended up playing longer in the league, didn't he? Who was the other guy? Let me get their roster for you. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember. You're right. It, it was a dynamic duo. Was yeah. it Grievous Vasquez? No. Although, ironically, 
there's a young lady named Vasquez who's now the sports editor of the Casa Grande Dispatch. Okay. And the reason why I bring that up, not more than two minutes ago, my sister just sent me a story via text. Vasquez named sports editor for her hometown newspaper, which is the Casa Grande Dispatch, and my sister said, made me think of you. (laughs) That's ironic that you bring up Vasquez. Maybe she's related to that Vasquez, but who's the other guy? Senior Juan Dixon was the ACC Player of the Year and the NCAA Final Four MVP. But Blake ended up playing much longer in the NBA, right? And now he's an assistant on the staff with Monty Williams, as is Darko Rakovich. The what, huh? (laughs) Mark Bryant. So... I, I can't root against. Plus, I, I, I can't root against my sisters. You can't root against your family. Yeah, they want Your wife's win. got the strong Arizona ties. Your sisters have been living there forever. Yeah, I found out over the weekend that my wife was a dual citizenship, Switzerland and the U.S. I never knew that. Oh, really? Yeah. She's carrying both passports. Because her father was a citizen. Yeah, I mean, he didn't. He was born and lived in Switzerland for many, many years. Didn't come over to the states until he was pushing thirty. So yeah, so I mean, by connection, I mean, I got to root for all the Swiss Olympians. Clearly, <laughs> I'm gonna be pulling for their basketball team. No, you're not. Yes, I am. That no, one no, was the one guy not. played here for uh, a couple years. What was his name? I had to deal with the New York cop. I played in the league. Cephalosha. Yeah, there you go. And I talked to him about Switzerland. He said, have you been there? I said, no. He said, you should go. I said, I know. Hey, also, I ain't got the money, huh, man? Oh, come on. <laughs> love the guy. I got an aunt and uncle vacation there. They love it. See, you know, my wife love had been to it. Europe many times over because her father worked for American, so they flew the non-rev deal. So, yeah. The things you learn after a few years of marriage, no idea. Chad says, our Bogut Kuzma and Doliak from Utah, Merrill is. What? Because Youths for Life tweeted at us, where was this tweet for Bogut Kuzma and Doliak when they played in the finals? No. It's not just the college connection. Three of them are not. Sam, is is he a native? He's a bountiful guy. Bountiful kid. Yeah. I don't know where he was born, but he played high school ball there. And he chose Utah State? Who you root against Sam Merrill? I mean, I hope he throws up some bricks tonight. Who says <laughs> that? Probably not going to play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can go, ch- you go check their stats. Was he the last pick of the first, uh, second round? Is Mr. It, Irrelevant? It's he, really an NFL thing. Well, totally an NFL thing. Uh, f- because didn't Milwaukee have the best record? And he hit that shot down in Vegas. Just Epic. Yeah. Epic. Yes. I mean, that's the second greatest shot in Utah basketball history. You got Stockton, then Sam Merrill. <laughs> it is. Uh, what? All the Jimmer fans are like, I can't think of a Jimmer shot. No, I mean, come on. All the Dave U fans Winter? are like, Keith Van Horn, back-to-back, conference tournament, SMU in New Mexico. Take that and take that. Yeah, and they, they were good. They were good shots, but... One I mean, a, one of them was, was a, a was a, yeah, it was a literally an Andre ten inch shot. He just, <laughs> just kind of yeah. finger tipped it. Well, he only had a couple tenths of a second, so. Yeah. 
The the second night was just absolutely just stunning. If you go haven't seen that, he had to balance it, turn, make the shot. But Sam Merrill's shot, and that was a great New Mexico team, so there's a lot of parallels because that was a great San Diego State team. Same arena, no less. Different basket, though. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I guess so. I'm using the same hoops for 25 years. But I mean, years. different end of the floor. Yeah, okay. I Not literally the same rim. I knew what you Joking. meant. I wasn't. He didn't. Yeah. So one was on the one side and the other was on the other side. So second biggest shot ever in the state of Utah history. Except didn't somebody hit a uh, like a three-quarter court bomb to beat somebody in the whack basketball? Yeah, Kevin Nixon. Kevin Nixon. Kevin Nixon. Yeah, yeah, from a little behind half court. The whack turn. That was right before you and I got here. I think it was a year before I got here, two years before you got here. And I didn't know about it. I don't know why in a championship week that didn't, somehow it escaped me. And I was going through our archives at Channel 2 looking for something else. And I'd, I'd been, it was the next college basketball season. I was looking at it like, Whoa! Why didn't I know about that? I don't know how that escaped me. That was an awesome shot. So it was a three-pointer? Yeah. And then what, what were they down? Were they down two? Down one? I guess it doesn't really I, matter. I but. don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to go look it up. I don't... Like I said, it escaped me and when it happened. beat? Pretty sure it beat Don Haskins in SMU. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I thought no, I you, UTEP, UTEP, sorry. UTEP. Yeah. Don Haskins was nearing the end of his run, and they beat him. So they beat, uh, they beat El Paso? Yeah. All right, I got to put that up there. That's, that's one side. Although sort of lucky. No, that's not the right one. Sorry. What? No, nope, nothing. Got the wrong year. Okay. Hand <laughs> uh, went up like, hey, hold on. Hold I got on it. A second. Yeah. All right, the most famous shot in franchise history. Stockton. So, yeah. Merle for Utah State. Well, this isn't franchise history. This is Well, the, individual franchises. Oh, okay. Individual or teams. programs, whatever. Right. So you got Stockton, you got Merrill. Yeah. Do you have Van Horn? Oh, uh, Van Horn against New Mexico. And that then shouldn't have Kevin happened the second night off a rebound and the ball getting. Oh, and he had to tip it to himself yeah, yeah. by maintaining balance, turn his body yep. to square up his shoulders. Yeah. And I can remember we're back in Charlotte, the draft, and the day before they had these breakouts, the top five or six players, they have their own table. And they're just grilling Keith. So I'm sitting next to Keith. I had asked him every question in the book by then. And so I'm just taking in the atmosphere. And somebody asked him, you know, did did you have a career? Because it was I was understood he was going to go two because mm-hmm. Duncan was going number one. Right. And somebody asked him, did you have a career in college worthy of the number two pick? I said, he had a weekend in Vegas. You said that? Yes. You answered it for yeah. him? <laughs> <laughs> Because I think the next night he went for like 37 against yeah, Billy Tubbs and but there TCU. Was, there was no drama at the end of that one. They but won still, that one convincingly. He kicked but it was butt. a weekend. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> it was Cinderella's story. Yes. Just making stuff up left and right. Right. They never should have been in the game with SMU. They were way better. And he bailed him out. And New Mexico was a legit good opponent. Oh, they had two NBA players. And it was a good Kenny game. Kenny Thomas and Charles yeah, Smith. Yeah, that was a really good game. I didn't. Yeah. And and then he he got the win there, and then he just went off, and there was no drama in the title game. 
No, no. He just dominated that Saturday night. But yeah, I think the Lobo shot is the huge shot. And then there are other good shots. I mean, there are people who've beaten... You know, BYU oh, wait, wait, wait. and it was a wait, conference wait. game. But we got to go Ainge, though, against, uh, was well, it Virginia? I thought you were just building up to that. Well, I just, I got a text just barely. I saying, thought you were uh, building up to that. I thought that was There's clear. a certain no. <laughs> end-to-end run by yeah, I mean, I don't have a BYU Ainge. history. Right. So, yeah, but there's I don't other have a Utah history There's either. other shots you can throw but, in there as nominees, and then Ainge's shot wins. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was the single greatest play in college basketball history. <laughs> don't argue. Don't freaking argue. That was the single greatest play in college basketball history. Yes, and that Notre Dame team was littered with NBA guys. Littered. Littered. Yes. It was like a sandbox. Never it was littered. Littered was a good word. It's, it's a, a great word. It's a great word, but it's not a good word littered with NBA players because litter, litter is like trash. It's garbage. In your case, it's cats dumping all over a sandbox. I mean, littered with NBA players. Yes. Ainge's play was the single greatest play in college basketball history. Better than that Villanova shot at the buzzer to win the NCAA title. Which was excellent. It was. Yeah, absolutely Because it, it was. followed another excellent shot. But that play, that athletic play going through like 10 guys, because he went through two or three of them twice, if not three times. And Orlando yeah, well, when it's was kind standing of, right there. Where it's the kind of play where you can say, Finger just rolling. like the coach drew it up, and everyone laughs because obviously it wasn't drawn up. <laughs> it just kind of happened. He made it happen. Well, I just read, that's funny, I just read something just the other day, and I can't remember when. There's a guy named Steve Trumbo who was on the team, uh-huh. and apparently he was a free spirit, and they were drawing up to play, and they break the huddle, and Trumbo says to Ainge, oh, hey, I wasn't listening, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Ainge said, give me the ball. That's funny. Yeah, I just read that just the other day, man. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.8 of the zone. The Big Show Big with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Former Cougar, our good friend Jonathan Tavanari. Let's start with your reaction on the whole to this name, image, and likeness change in college sports. I don't think this is a good idea. To me, this has opened a Pandora's box that is going to be hard to contain. I see this having a whole lot of negative effects. There's probably going to be a handful of kids that are going to make seven figures, but there's going to be quite a bit of players that are financially illiterate. At BYU, I never prepared for it. I only had that type of instruction once I signed with a really big agent. So having lived through it, I think there's going to be a whole lot of issues that the system is not ready to support. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7 presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. SNS Roofing is your locally owned roof repair expert. For free quote and all your roofing needs, call SNS Roofing. Brian says, who wouldn't want to cheer for Sam Merrill and his team? Brian is all in on the Bucks. I guess someone who liked Jay Crowder with the Jazz and wants to see Jay Crowder win an NBA title. That's who. Uh, Now we got a guy who says, I feel like I'm always defaulting to cheering for the West team in the finals. Except it's the Lakers. Who cheers for the Lakers? <laughs> People from LA. Unless you're a Laker fan. I mean, other exactly. than that. I mean, there's no casual. Oh, man, I really hope the Lakers win. They need 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever it is. I'd have a little problem with that. 
Sam Merrill, Elijah Bryant, the former Aggie, the former Cougar, on the Milwaukee bench. Now, this is, uh, this is random knowledge here, but AJ tweets at us, BYU legend and sports psychologist Craig Manning is also the Bucks sports psychologist. Another BYU tie. You're getting pretty deep into it. Craig Manning, I've heard that name. He works with all of BYU athletes. I probably have interviewed him somewhere along the line. He's been there for a while. Yeah. That, BYU that, that or name, Milwaukee? He's done a lot of different pro sports. The name sports, is very familiar to me. He's been around BYU for, wow, I don't know, a decade plus at minimum. Because didn't Bronco have somebody that he brought aboard? Correct. He's had – and Manning was one of the guys who Bronco brought in who is stuck around. A lot of people are liking that comment. So Craig's got a lot of ties. A lot of people are on board with Craig. And he's been hired by the Bucks. Yes. See, and there, there's a couple things that we're going to hear. Budenholzer's from Holbrook, Arizona, and that is a dink town <laughs> up in northern Arizona. It is. I mean, it's really small. It is. You don't mean i got to look up Holbrook, Arizona, which I've never heard of, oh, you and haven't? find out how dinky it is. <laughs> it's, it's way small. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like Panguitch or something. Uh, yeah, and I think his father was a basketball coach there. Uh, Population 5,053. Yeah. <laughs> That's tiny. Yeah. And it's, it's, up, it's up in the northern part of the state. Uh, and then you'll hear the, the fact, I think it was in 69, they had the two teams with the worst records. It may have yep. been in each conference. They had the coin flip, which I think was done over the phone. And the Suns and Bucks had it. And the winner got the number one pick, obviously, and that was Lou Alcindor, later Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was an all-time player. And then the Suns drafted second, and they took Neil Walk, who was a, f- hmm. a Florida Florida State player, Florida. a center. Uh, but I went and looked back. I, I remember looking back at that draft because the Suns took a lot of heat. But it, I think they had 15 teams at the time. Yep. And there wasn't anybody else who just jumped out at you that they should have drafted. Lucius Allen, who was a good college player but didn't have a great pro career. Yeah. I mean, he played a while, so that was good. Right, but there wasn't like somebody, oh, they should have drafted this player. See, so you go in that Bill, that Bill Russell argument, you obviously have the draft up right now in front of you. I do have the 69 draft up, And yes. he's talking about, well, the best players played in the NBA. You couldn't even na- recall... Most of those guys in that first round of 15 picks. No, I mean, JoJo White's name jumps out of me because he played 12 years. Certainly. Um, But Bingo Smith, never heard of him. First round draft pick. He was the sixth pick in the draft. He would have been a quote-unquote lottery pick. Right. No idea anything about Bingo Smith. Don't know if Bingo Smith is 6'2 or 6'10. So I could argue that, okay, the best players played in the league then – but they weren't really good players just because you're the best players. But there were some good players, and they were all on one team or all on a couple of teams. And I once had a female basketball coach explain that to me in college that uh, 
when the women's game was developing, this was probably 20 years ago, she told me that there wasn't a lot of good players and they were all going to the same schools. So the game needed to develop to get uh, more of quality players. But there was quality, there just wasn't big numbers. So it just comes down to like the 69 draft just wasn't a good draft because I just clicked on the very next year, 1970, and the top four picks, Bob Lanier, Rudy Tomjanovich, Pete Maravich, and Dave Cowens. Okay, well, that, can, that's a pretty good draft. Didn't uh, when we had so, that discussion with Judkins one time? Yeah, he told Jetty, us, Jetty told did us. He said that that was maybe it was that a was a draft. phenomenal draft. There was a draft that was before our time, and he's like, guys, if you're talking phenomenal all time drafts, and maybe it was a seventy draft because that's that's pretty awesome right there. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll hear about that in these finals that yeah. that '69 deal between the Bucks and yeah, the Suns. that's another link with the franchises. They were both. And that was just a massive difference. Although nothing against Neil Walk, it would have been a massive difference no matter who really was taken second. Yes. Kareem's career versus everybody else's career in that draft. I mean, he was always going to have Many a, drafts. A, right, yeah. <laughs> and he was always, but it's not like Lanier, Tomjanovich, Maravich, and Cowens. You know, if any of those guys had been number two after him, you would have said, okay, well, they got a Hall of Famer. But it wasn't Kareem, as opposed to, well, was, there just wasn't another Hall of Famer on the board Rudy in 69. He wasn't a Hall of Famer as a player, was he? What? Rudy was a Hall of Famer as a player? Uh, I don't think he was as a player, no. But I think Lanier was, and I'm sure Maravich was, and Cowens was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that's a really strong top of the draft right there. All right, DJ and PK, we got to take a break. When we come back, Dan Feldman joins us. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. We'll get his take not only on the NBA Finals, but also the Jazz offseason. The moves that should be made, the moves that could be made. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined by Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought currently. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Dan, good morning. Hey, how you doing? Good. So, let's get the pick right out of the way. I'm curious. Suns, Bucks, what are you thinking? Both for Game 1 and the series, just in case it's different. Uh, I think the Suns are going to win, and I'd take uh, the Suns for, for both of those. Uh, I think the Suns are, are playing at a little bit of a higher level right now. and I, you know, This is a little bit of a cop-out, but with Giannis's health, right, I don't think he's going to play Game 1. Uh, not sure we'll see him back in the series necessarily. Uh, so I think that sways me toward Phoenix more comfortably. I think it'd be a real tough pick if Giannis were healthy. Uh, I hope he gets there. I hope we get that fun series I envision uh, with both teams at full strength. Uh, I just think it's unlikely Milwaukee gets to that point. So the Suns' success that they've had is sort of out of left field to a good degree in terms of getting to the finals, have not made the playoffs in 11 seasons, but they're expected to be better. I don't know if they're expected to be this better. Does this send a message to the NBA as far as uh, keep plugging away and maybe you can strike gold? Uh, I hope so. And it's not just plugging away, right? When they made that move to trade for Chris Paul, a lot of people were skeptical. They gave up a first round pick and people said, oh, you know, like, congratulations. Maybe you'll make the first round and lose there. Uh, there's something, too. I, I always thought they'd be better than that. I thought they'd be a, a pretty good 
playoff team and not necessarily win a series, but have a, a real chance to. Uh, they've caught us a break, no question, right? Like uh, the, the Lakers uh, with injuries, Anthony Davis and LeBron was, was not at full strength. And you get the, the, the Nuggets with, without Jamal Murray and just throughout the playoffs. They, they've uh, been on the fortunate side, although, you know, Chris Paul had coronavirus, so it's not like it's been perfect for Phoenix. But there's something to be good and give yourself a chance to catch those breaks. How many teams uh, have spent years just saying, hey, you know what, we don't want to just sneak into the playoffs. We don't, you know, we, we'd rather tank. Uh, you know, we're at that point where we're not ready to push in our chips. We don't think we've got a good chance at a championship. Oh, the Warriors are too good or you know, whoever the team du jour is is too good. We don't have a chance. Give yourself a chance. Uh, not every team is going to catch those breaks, but man, how satisfying is it when you do? So as you uh, wait for the finals here, and they could be over real quick, as you point out, if uh, if Giannis isn't going to play, maybe I'm underestimating the Bucks there. But the off season is looming here for the Utah Jazz, and there's the whole talk about Conley. I think most people come down on the side of they got to bring Mike Conley back because if they don't, they're going to lose the money. But I think there's also awareness that bringing Mike back brings back the threat of injuries that have haunted him the last two years. So where do you stand on all of that? I don't see a feasible way for the Jazz to get a better player, and that's including the injury risk. It's there. It's real. Uh, I don't know a better solution uh, in just in terms of making the team as strong as possible than re- trying your best to re-sign Conley and hoping for the best health-wise. Uh, to me, that's far better than getting a lesser player, far lesser player with the mid-level exception, who even if he's healthy, is not going to be uh, – Okay, and I agree with all that, but what do you prioritize as other needs, too? Uh, I think the Jazz need the the ability to be more versatile, and I'd look first at backup center. Uh, Derek Favors... I had some moments last year, but especially as it got deeper in the playoffs, you know, I just saw somebody who stylistically uh, couldn't change how the Jazz play and also just very clearly was far worse than Rudy Gobert. Uh, so I, I think there's room to upgrade there and get the ability to adapt to different styles, right? When the Clippers went small, uh, that gave uh, Utah a lot of problems. Uh, and to a certain degree, yeah, your role to your best player as his best player. Uh, but sometimes it's helpful to be able to play different ways, and I, I think you talking to address that through backup center. We've heard a lot about the middle class really getting squeezed in the NBA as the massive guaranteed deals and the supermax deals come online. Are there guys who are kind of in that mid-range who are going to get squeezed and could be a value play that, of course, at that point the Jazz aren't the only team battling to get them, but you get the point. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's one out now because of the super X contracts didn't exist before. I'm not slightly calculate that. Uh, that middle X, but Donovan Mitchell would have gotten if there were no max. Uh, and he is not even like the very best of the very best. I think he could have drawn more. And so that, that leaves more money to pay for everybody else. I think that's often uh, where, where uh, you end up overpaying uh, for, for some of these players in that range. But if you're a team like the Jazz, again, it's not much money to spend. It's very easy for me to spend. Uh, 
if you're just trying to maximize the roster, it's not going to be great value, but we're poor production value. Uh, Dan, you're breaking up. Uh, you're breaking up pretty badly. If you can call us back on another line or move to a window or something, uh, we're, we're only catching a portion of what you're saying. Y'all can work on that. Y'all can work on that with Dan, and we'll see if we can get him back on with a better line. That's an interesting thing on the backup center. You know, that's a Dennis Lindsay thing, and uh, how much? How many more years does Derek Favors have? I look at in the uh, clinching game for the Suns, Sarich hit a couple threes. It just seemed like, man, that was a huge plus. You know, he's the backup center to Aiton. And all he did was just take a couple threes, and they went in. And somehow it seemed like it was a huge lift. Well, depending on when they come in a game, they are. I mean, that's the it thing. It was early. About, right. First but half. If it's momentum, if it's confidence, it's... You can't just look at a box score. You have to watch the game and be feeling it as it happens. But some of them are huge confidence boosts. And, and there are plenty of teams who think, hey, we're pretty even here, but when we go to our bench, we're going to get these guys. And there's a lot of confidence comes from that. And if you think, hey, we might be in trouble when we go to our bench, but if someone hits a couple of threes and you trade points or maybe even go on a run, it is a huge boost. But the Jazz don't have any center who can hit a three. Right. So they have to get one. And so that's the thing. How versatile can you make your team? And when you're looking at uh, contracts, Favors uh, makes $9.7 million next year and then has a player option for $10 million the year after. He's 29 years old right now. If you're going to move guys on the roster, I don't think they have a roster where you're going to move much because... You just create a hole when you move somebody. But if I had to guess, I'm thinking, okay, that might that may be a guy. If you need a center, we saw it in New Orleans. They were way better when they had him when them than when they didn't. So is that something? I mean, we got we kind of have a new guy calling the shots, except he's been there and he's had a loud voice, but now he's got the voice. So. It makes for an interesting offseason because we can't really predict where this is going to go. All right, we got Dan Feldman back now and hopefully got a little better line. So, Dan, you want to uh, just pick up that point there about uh, you were making about uh, favors and the Jazz and backup centers? Oh, so, I, you know, I think backup center is a place where the Jazz definitely have room to upgrade. Uh, I, I wasn't so impressed with where favors was by the end of the year into the playoffs. To me, he just looked like a worse version of Rudy Gobert in a lot of ways, had a lot of uh, limitations, but obviously not nearly the same strength. Uh, so I think backup center is a place where the Jazz can both upgrade uh, and also get the ability to play different styles, be more adaptable. Obviously, usually you want to have your best players on the floor, and that's Rudy Gobert. But there are going to be times, like against the Clippers, when, when they went small and gave the Jazz a lot of problems, there are going to be times where you want to play different styles. And I think backup center is a place that the, the Jazz can get a reasonable player. Not going to be a good but somebody who can work favors and provide that adaptability. How about be able to hit some threes because they don't have that out of their big man now? Yeah, that'd be a big part of it. Uh, it's offensively like that, too, but it's also defensively. Rudy Colbert is an excellent defender. 
He is at his best when he's in the paint. Uh, he loses some of his value when he's on the perimeter. He holds his own. I'm not one of these people who believes, oh, he gets played off the court all the time, the playoffs, anything like that. But there are times where there's you know, some players who can play center, who can hold up there in smaller lineups, uh, who are just a little bit more fleet of foot, better moving on the perimeter, uh, better on that defensive end in those matchups. So there's been a lot of talk about wing players for the Jazz and that they need someone who's got some size and some athletic ability and then make enough threes, maybe bring them along as a three-point shooter. How much would you value that? Uh, it'd be great. Uh, the whole league values that, though, unfortunately, for, for the Jazz. That, that is the premium uh, spot to fill to get an athletic and skilled wing. The Jazz have one in Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, he's, he's a little smaller than, than who you're talking about. Uh, the, the guy you want, but those players are, are so hard to find, so hard to get, uh, and the Jazz are, are going to be limited to the mid-level exception. It's going to be tough to get that style of player because uh, there just aren't that many of them around the league, and the ones who are, are for that reason, very highly valued. So Damian Lillard has a massive contract, and he's a massive talent for sure. Do you think there's any way he would get moved? If he wants to. Uh, that's how the NBA works out. If he wants to get traded, he will. Uh, I'm going to take him at, you know, at, at his word. He's talked about staying with one team so often. I think he's a little frustrated at this moment. Everything hasn't gone to plan. Uh, I, so I, I think it's highly unlikely, but sure, there's a chance. Doesn't it seem more likely with four years left on his deal that with the coaching change, he gives it a shot for a couple of years and then he's moved with two years left on his deal? Or is that old school thinking after watching the way Chris Paul's been bounced around the league by the Rockets, the Thunder, and now to the Suns? You know, it's, it's different than Chris Paul uh, because Chris Paul, you know, when he engineered the moves himself, uh, it wasn't with so much time left. He didn't want the Rockets. So trade well, maybe he did by that point, but he wasn't you know, forcing a trade, demanding a trade. The Rockets were the were the real impetus there. They wanted to get rid of him. Uh, the Trailblazers don't want to get rid of Damian Lillard, no way, and they do have some leverage uh, because of that. So much of this is really about uh, the star's stomach for doing this, right? If Damian Lillard really wants to be traded and is willing to make a mess and make things difficult on the Trailblazers, and not be the great leader he was, and not be the great teammate he was, they yeah, can probably get traded. A lot of players don't want to do that. That's not their mindset, and that's so far from what Damian Lillard's mindset has been. Does Kawhi go back to the uh, Clippers? I think that's most likely. Uh, there's no signal I've seen in any direction stronger than just two years ago he chose the Clippers. He could have gone anywhere, and he chose the Clippers. Obviously, it hasn't worked out as well as anybody there would have hoped, uh, but has it been so bad that he's ready to leave? I doubt it. Uh, but it's at least possible. Once you hit free agency, you have options. What happens with the Mavericks? Because obviously you got Luka Doncic there. Awesome. But you got a new coach. You got a new GM. You got the ability to create some serious cap space. What are they going to do? It's kind of a bummer for them in that they've been uh, saving up to have this cap space. The last year before you know, Luka Doncic is going to be on that, that Supermax contract and so highly paid. You have him on that cheap rookie scale contract. This is your opportunity to get cap space. And Giannis signs his extension. Kawhi Leonard, who we just talked about, is probably going to stay. I mean, I'm sure you make a run at him. This, this free agent class hasn't panned out as hoped. But Tim Hardaway Jr. played very well for them, gave them good minutes. A lot of their cap space is based on him leaving, his big salary coming off the bus. 
their best option might end up just being re-signing him. That'd be disappointing, uh, but you got to make the best of the situation. Yeah, that's interesting there with that situation as far as what they're going to be able to do because even though the kid is young, it seems like there's a lot of intense pressure to get better immediately as if he's running out of time. And what is he, 22? Maybe not. I don't even know if he's 23. So it seems like, you know, when you look at somebody like Chris Paul, who doesn't get to the finals until his 16th year, it seems kind of silly that Dallas is under this pressure, but at least that's my perception of it from the outside. See, I read the pressure a little differently. The pressure isn't he's running out of time. The pressure is that the window's open already because he's so good when so young. Uh, sometimes teams mistime it. Uh, Luka Doncic is ready to lead a team deep into the playoffs. They just need to get the players around him. I also think some of the pressure comes from they already made their move for a second star, and it hasn't worked. Kristaps Porzingis is not playing on that level. It's frustrating him. It's frustrating Doncic. It's frustrating everybody. Uh, the problem is he's on this high salary, so it makes it harder to get somebody else. The Mavericks gave up a couple first-round picks to get them. Those are assets they can't use to get somebody else. Uh, so I think the pressure just comes from the frustration that, uh-oh, like this, this, the first plan hasn't worked. That makes it harder to get to the second plan. By the time you, you let the first plan, if you're just going to let it run its course, then maybe Doncic is even more frustrated. Uh, but I, I think the pressure is more generally optimistic. It's about the window being open because Doncic is so good. So the Grizzlies should be better because they're young. The Warriors should be better because they're healthy. How much better are those teams going to be, and can they make a Suns-like leap? Suns-like leap is tough. That's that's a high bar. Both teams definitely can be better. Uh, The Warriors were pretty darn good this year when they weren't playing James Wiseman uh, and maybe a couple other players who, who didn't belong in the rotation. The Suns or the Warriors, there's a framework there, right? Steph Curry is awesome. Draymond Green can still dial it up at times. It's a question how often he can as he gets older, uh, but they should be pretty good. The Grizzlies, uh, you know, they, they've got to decide how fast they want to accelerate because some of the reason they were good, of course, is they're you know, super young players, uh, especially John Morant. Some of it is they've had uh, a couple solid veterans, especially uh, Jonas Valanciunas. Do you want to keep relying on him? Uh, by the time John Morant is peaking, uh, Jonas Valanciunas might not be in his prime anymore. Uh, so you do, do you want to try, where do you want to time it? Do you want to have everything come together when John Morant is at his peak? Uh, then maybe that means you know trading Jonas Valanciunas, getting something for him, a younger player who, who's better timed with Morant, or do you want to try and be better now? Uh, but both those teams, however they go, uh, both the Warriors and Grizzlies should be in that playoff mix next year. Well, Dan, before we get to next year, we got the finals this year. So enjoy them. Thanks for joining us, and we will talk to you again as the offseason heats up. Thanks for having me. Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. You can read him there. DJ and PK, we'll get you up to speed on this show next. Anything you missed, we'll catch you up. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON on your home of the 
the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The Top 60 and 60 is back in the Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty announce another member of the Top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the Top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness right here on the Zone Sports Network. All right, time to get you up to speed. If you're joining the show late, stuff we have been talking about. Obviously, the big story is the game tonight. It's the Bucks and it's the Suns. It's game one. And with Giannis Antetokounmpo listed as doubtful, it is easy to default to the Suns are going to win this game. Agreed. And the Suns are going to win this series. But this whole playoff run, to me, people want to say, oh, it's defined by the injury, and that's fine. But it's also defined by what we would consider no-name dudes having great games coming out of nowhere. So what role player goes I mean, off? Obviously because Sam Merrill hits 10 threes. See? That would be great. He goes for 32 points, all on threes. That wouldn't be good math, but I get your point. Well, that one, they rescinded it later because his toe was on the line. That would be the 11th one. And then he'd be down to 10. And a two. And you're sucking me into this. <laughs> that's, the, that's exactly So really on. what has to happen here is they've got three days off for game three. Is Antetokounmpo going to be ready by the weekend? If they go to best case for the Bucks, he's out a couple games. They find a way to win one of them because of what you say. Role player goes off. And they go to Milwaukee 1-1 and they get Giannis back. Milwaukee would sign off on that right now. No question. Yeah, it goes uh, Sunday, I think, is game three. Right. Thursday's game two. Uh, but, yeah, just his presence back, though. We saw Mike Conley come back, and he wasn't... He it wasn't, wasn't enough, right? He wasn't yeah. anything yeah. compared to what he was. He had a bad game. So just because you're back, I mean, that gives you a psychological lift, but you have to produce. So, and the Suns, they're going to say, hey, so what, man? Chris Paul was out for two games. That's what they should say. Against the Clippers yeah, for the and even COVID. if he wasn't. Right. And he had the shoulder in the first round. He's clearly limited in... Two or three games and then he there. He got hip checked and face checked by Demarcus Cousins on that one. No, he banished really, Cousins from the league. He flopped big time. No way. It's not the first time he's run over to Demarcus Cousins and flopped. He know Cousins has a rep. I mean, you got to give him credit. He's savvy. Right there, I man. totally agree. I totally agree. But one of the uh, when we were talking earlier this morning about who you're rooting for, and a lot of people said they're rooting against Paul. And someone sent us that uh, that quick little video clip from a regular season game where he it was even more flagrant than the the one in this playoffs, which was pretty bad in its own right. I read a thing once from Kobe, or I saw it. And he was talking about he studied where the referees. And I've brought this up before. Uh-huh. He studied where the referees are on the floor, and he knew there was a certain spot over by the left elbow because of where the referees position themselves, that he could get a little nudge, a la Jordan, but do it so discreetly because they couldn't see where they were positioned. He studied that out to give himself, give the defender a little nudge, to give him just a step or so, a half of an inch or whatever it was, to be able to get a better-looking shot. I thought that was genius. (laughs) It was genius. But somehow that's cheating. It's sneaky. Uh, but he put forth in Kobe's, you know, obviously his intelligence was so awesome that he studied that out. So this, I, that's like, if you're complaining about Chris Paul, it's like pulling over one dude on a freeway full of speeders. <laughs> yeah, so? 
fun and complain about them, but then complain about everybody. There is a lot of flopping going on in the NBA, and it's not just the foreign players. Wasn't that Dylan Brooks that one time at Utah? There was a yes. video of him yeah. hopping three he steps. He acted backwards. like he got punched or yeah. right. a cannon hit him in the gut. It was a joke, and, and nobody it, was near him. There's nobody near, and it's it's been immortalized by Ute fans. They've all got it saved, and they anytime anything comes up, yeah, anything anytime comes up, I got. Got it on Twitter multiple times from you fans. And we can't absolve Rudy Gobert, who has sold plenty of flops. Lots of players sell lots of flops. Yeah, I'm just saying, we can't. Brian Russell learned from yeah, John Stockton. This stuff is handed down from player to player. So we're not immune to it here in Utah. You put the, you, the other player's arm, you pinch it under your arm. When they shove you off to get clear, you flop back. There it is. And I got to give the league credit because that James Harden moving the ball through and like somebody nicks your arm and then you go up for three, that was awful. But they corrected that. And I, and I, I agree with Van Gundy and the Jazz do this incessantly. Any form, any form of a disadvantage, boom, they fell. On a fast break? It's not even really a fast break. It's yeah. just a disadvantage on a mm-hmm. fast break. Yes, any type of transition, not, it's very obvious. I wouldn't the jazz even call are, it a fast break. The Jazz are killing. Play. Yeah, it could be yeah. like three on three, not a pure. Right. If it, yeah, if you're just caught and there's any disadvantage in transition, commit the foul at midcourt. That's a better way to explain it. Yes, and that that's not like it drives you, me nuts, but it does irritate me a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah, you could just be cross matched. You could have enough players, but have them matched up on the wrong guy, and they you foul. Know, Right, and Joe Ingles is looking at some point guard who's way quicker. To, never mind. Just grab him 40, 60 feet yeah. from the hoop. And, hey, it's within the rules, and you got Gobert, so of course you want your defense set up because yep. you got Gobert. And it's clearly been coached by Quinn Snyder and the staff. But it bothers clearly. me. Right. Well, transition basketball is fun, and nobody turns on the TV saying, I hope I can see some fouls tonight. <laughs> That's not happening. And, and the transition game is fun. But it, it's only fun... When your transition game is annihilating the other guy, it's not fun when their transition game's crushing you. So I wonder if they'll have some rule to address that. Ultimately, I think they need it because it's about entertainment, and that's not entertaining. As long as it's legal, take advantage of it. But that's the kind of thing where you can coach it up during the season, and then you can go to the league meetings in the offseason and advocate to end it. You know, you'd have to make the penalty tougher. There's got to be some form of penalty, yeah. Right, and it becomes, you know, it's a free throw and a ball on the side, and then you start doing the math, and you're like, okay, that's not a no, good idea. You, We're not saving well, any points give the, here. A team, the team that got fouled, you give them an opportunity of a half-court shot to end the game. <laughs> <laughs> you and these ridiculous things you do, man. Boom, they <laughs> take the half-court. If it goes in, End the game, but that's like the half court shot to stop practice. Missing the half court shot and ending the game is too much. So what you would do then, you could take advantage of it. You got an opportunity. You take a half court shot. If it goes in, you win. Game over. But if you miss, the other team gets ten points. Becomes either a free throw and a ball on the side. No, or <laughs> this is entertainment. Can you imagine that? It'll How just awesome it, it would happening. be. You're down a couple starters. And you you know your your team is gassed, so you put Ingles at the at the half court line, and he you can just, do whatever he wants, and just can't cross the half court. And then you have the refs right there to make sure like it's not a fault and tennis to serve. You know what I mean? Come on, that'd be wildly entertaining. Who wouldn't want to see that? Uh, other things we uh, mentioned this morning: Luka Doncic led Slovenia to the Olympics. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovic is not going to the Olympics, and his team got eliminated. 
Italy got through, Germany got through, Slovenia got through. Bogey's out. And the so, U.S. will win. That's what we assume. Oh, I guarantee it. Got Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert to watch, plus the U.S. So you got a rooting interest there with three of the 12 teams. Well, I hope Australia medals. And what was it last time? I'm sitting in a McDonald's parking lot in Oakland, California, watching them against Spain on my my uh, phone because it was for third place. Uh huh. And I'm passionately. What, what am I doing here? <laughs> what do I care? But I was passionately rooting for Australia because of Joe, Joe comes on the radio that they would get that medal. And and I, they had one, if not both, Casals. And I can remember Spain won, and then they just dogpiled out on midcourt. Like it was such a big deal for third place. It was way cool. And I was disappointed that the Australians did not uh, win because everybody knows from childhood, me and Monson have been diehard Olivia Newton-John fans. What? So I, oh, I feel that intense connection. And on Dick Harmon's birthday a few years back, we went and saw... Olivia Newton-John in Vegas. <laughs> I didn't really want to see the concert, but I wouldn't have minded watching you guys watch the concert. Oh, Gordon, man, he was biting his lower lip and he was going to town. <laughs> so it was the year of the BYU-Utah-Vegas game, right? Okay, yeah, the Vegas Bowl, right? Yeah, the Vegas Bowl. And so... Uh, what are we, like five years removed from that now? yeah. And it, Harmon's birthday. Let's get physical, yeah. physical. Oh, and these guys get up and dance, and their their shirts come up because they got big guts, and they're right in the front row. Uh. <laughs> and so Gordon, and it's Harmon's birthday, and he's got a friend who's got free ticks, and the, he calls me, say, hey, "You want to go to the show?" And I say, "Yeah, I'm sitting in a hotel room by myself, of course." <laughs> and so then Monson calls me, "Hey, what's going on?" I said. And I'm going to see Olivia Newton-John tonight. Yeah, yeah. Can you give me some ticks? And he's here. And it's like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. <laughs> he's got a bust all the way down there. <laughs> he's driving down with his wife. And so I tell him, I said, well, and it's at, the, I think, the Tropicana, what Don and Marie did, but they were dark that night. So she, Don, uh, Marie is buddies with uh, Olivia. And so she would sub. You follow me? Yeah. We're not going too fast for you, Ivan. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the only thing that blows my mind is that Marie Osmond is friends with Olivia Newton-John. True story. But it, you know, it makes sense. Kind of same generation, entertainment. entertainment. Yeah. yeah, It's not that big and a circle. So, so okay. I tell him, I said, well, okay, I'll call. Call Harmon. He says, yeah. Just tell him he's got to be outside the Tropicana by 7 o'clock. Because I ain't waiting. Right. The I'm show going in to see the seven, show. Right? And so I tell him that. Well, I show up about... 20 to 7, Gordon is already there. He's standing there. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. We need to get Gordon on one day and ask him how fast he went through that Virgin Oh, he broke 90. speed records, man. 90. Well, the Virgin River Gorge, that night, the canyon area, I just want to know what he was doing through there. 95. He got, you know, Gravity. Vegas, you park Gravity. in the parking lots, take you 20 minutes to walk from the parking That's lot a good point. into yeah. the casinos. So he was, uh, those are good I guess pipes. Gordon was doing 100 then. <laughs> He was he was already there, and so then Harmon shows up with his friend, and so that would have been what the five of us, no two, three, yeah, five of us, because nope. my wife was home. No bathroom break in Mesquite. No, no, my goodness, they Keep set going. land records, man. No more Beaver. No, thank you. And they got there. I mean, you probably shouldn't have said that with Oliva Newton John, but they got there. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I would have gone St. George, uh, uh, what is that, uh, Littlefield, you know, as you come in from the Arizona town right there. That's, that's the towns I would have named, but, you know. Uh, but anyway, so he got there. And then the guy had free Caesar's Palace buffet afterward. Oh, even better. But I had to get up and do the show the next morning. Ah. So I begged off because I was doing the show from the hotel room. So I Nothing begged like off. like a midnight buffet. for. I, the- <laughs> I begged off the food, but I guess they had a feast afterward. So I believe it was probably Monson's uh, one of his top five nights all time in his life. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm already sorry that got brought up. <laughs> Let's get physical. Physical. <laughs> Oh, and she was dancing. She had an evening gown. It was great, man. And it was all for free, too. Man, I can't beat it. I mean, I wish it would have been the buffet earlier, so I could have taken advantage. But I, I, I had to get my beauty rest. And I and Well, you can root hard for Australia in these Olympics. One more for, thing. For that Joe night, and Olivia. I, felt, I slept so soundly because I was so happy. Good. <laughs> well, never mind. I had a point to make, but... It, who is we'll Australia play? Germany, Italy, Nigeria. And it's three groups of four. Okay, Germany. So, okay. so They okay, could win it. the group. They could win, win the group. group. Australia can win the group. Germany, Germany Italy, Italy, Nigeria. Top to advance, and two of the three third-place teams will advance. The problem is you get a really hard quarterfinal game if you finish third. Okay, so that should be Australia and then either Germany or Italy. I would kind of think that Australia and Italy play for 1-2, Germany 3, Nigeria 4, but I don't follow it that close. Germany doesn't have much of a history. Australia and Italy do. That Schramp? Christian Welv? Nowitzki couldn't get him to the Olympics. I mean, come on. Boris Becker? <laughs> hey, put some respect on Dennis Schroeder's name. Who else is on that? Put some respect who's, on. Who else is on the German team? <laughs> I don't know. Schroeder's the guy Schroeder's who comes to mind right, yeah. right away. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, Maxi Kleber, who plays for the Dallas Mavericks as well. He's there four normally in their lineup. And don't discount Nigeria because Ike Diago is playing the former Sun Devil at 37 years of age. He'll turn 38 on September 11th, the 20th anniversary, and also BYU-Utah in football. The Cougars try to be their Phoenix version of the Phoenix Suns. And coming out of nowhere after 11 years and finally winning. Australia could win that group. It's there. It's there for the taking. They're littered with all sorts of uh, NBA NBA guys, right? I heard Exum made the team. Oh, yeah? Okay. He's probably going to miss the first game. You making a joke? Yeah. (laughs) I thought so. (laughs) I have no idea. But I saw he made the team. Okay. I hope we can ever someday find his health. Yeah. Other topics on the table. The Dallas Cowboys, third appearance on HBO Hard Knocks. First time I've had Hard Knocks while the Cowboys are on it. Do I really want to watch training camp? Is it that exciting? People talk this show up. I've never well, watched it. Yeah, should watch HBO it if you've now. never seen it. I've yeah. seen it just being in hotels. Yeah. And uh, I don't watch guys I get personally cut. don't have HBO. It has some decent moments in it. I have no pay it's for view. Overwhelming anything. endorsement. No. <laughs> well, it, it's literally, guys, bring your playbook. They have the feel-good stories about guys who make the team, other guys who stuff. Think uh, might make it. Uh, the Prescott's back from the major injury. Yep. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's a story. Drafted him in my fantasy last year. That helped my team. He's. The goal is not to finish last because then you have to be the commissioner the next year. He, uh, you know, I hope for his return to health and see what happens. They've got great receivers, a great running back. They should be competitive. Shouldn't they be a threat to win the division? I think they're a playoff team. Well, yeah, because the division's terrible. You think they're a playoff team? Because the division's terrible. I think they should win the division. So, yes, they're a playoff team. Is the division terrible? Yes. What about my pigskins? Terrible. Terrible? What are you talking about? They won a division last year. And it was terrible. Nobody had a winning record. Yeah, but that's because Smith didn't play. He played it when he played. They won. And now he's retired, so he's right. not going to bail him out this year. Washington won the division at 7-9 and nine last year. The Giants and Cowboys were 6-10. and 10. Prescott's back. I would think the Cowboys, uh, now you get a 17th game, too. So I would think they're a 10-win team. Well, then you should watch Hard Knocks even more. You're going to watch a playoff team. And by, Hey, can we come over? Sure. Well, that was a... Not you, exactly. you do not want to come over sure. and watch Hard Knocks. Just making it up for the radio. Why not? I don't got HBO. I don't make that kind of cash. Because you want to sit at home and watch your Diamondbacks. You pay extra Not anymore. For I haven't watched them in weeks. They <laughs> suck. Too many losses, huh? No, I go to the MLB Network or ESPN or Fox or whatever other games. Yeah, FS1, baby. Yeah. They'll get you a game. I'll watch those games. I ain't watching these These guys. Yeah. They suck. <sighs> nah, the Cubs. Now, they suck. Ten straight losses under 500. They were just a, a competitor for the division title. Yeah, ten straight. Yeah, you're right, man. Uh, David Ross. You know, the good thing about David Ross, I'm driving in this morning, and I got on my satellite, and the Kenny Chesney station, he does a thing where he has guest DJs. And this morning, and it's taped. Like I told you, Eli and Peyton did it a while back. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hannah Storm did it. And this morning, they had David Ross doing it. Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. Pretty cool. You get your own station, and then you get people to sub in and do the work for you. Does he do it with them, or do they no, do no, it No, no, no. They just do an hour, and they tell their stories related to Kenny, mm-hmm. and, and then they play whatever tunes that they want to play, and if they have a story behind it. Peyton, who's just a PR dream. Right. I mean, he's got extended stories. I told you he's wild that... Kenny played, he came to visit him. Peyton was cleaning out his apartment or house when he was getting ready to leave Knoxville. Mm -hmm. Kenny's a big Tennessee fan. So he invites uh, Kenny over in the backyard. Kenny brings his guitar. They start playing. He said, next thing you know, they got like 500 people trying to get in the backyard. (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, he had a little impromptu Pey- get together. so good at the media thing. Yeah. He's so good at the late night talk show thing. He does these uh, little mini documentaries for uh, ESPN Plus that are really good. They, yeah. I, they, they ran some of them during the Peyton's pandemic place. when there were no games. Yeah. They did one on the history of the football and how it's changed shape over time. That was outstanding. Um, he was on SNL once, and they did a thing where he went against type, and he was quarterbacking these little kids, and he was a total tyrant in a park in New York. It was hilarious. And I saw him on one of the late-night shows do an interview about it, and they were like, seriously, how, you, you hit a kid in the back of the head with a football, like a six-year-old kid, and you just zinged him from 30 yards and knocked him down. He said, well, the trick was it was a Nerf ball, and they painted it 
to look like a real football. And he said, but it was windy in the park that day. And he said, I had to hit this kid in the back of the head. And the whole thing was the kid couldn't be looking. So I had to hit- Central Park? I think so, yeah. And it was like Buddy the Elf with the snowballs. And he said, I had to throw this Nerf football 30 yards into the wind. It was, without question, the greatest throw of my career. And he got a huge laugh with it because he just knows. He well, just he's knows the how MJ to, of football. He just knows how to deliver that stuff. So there's nothing Peyton can't do at this point. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, your feedback, a long list of people who are not rooting for Chris Paul, and they will tell us why next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Chris Paul is like the biggest whiner in the NBA. It is so annoying to watch him play. I remember him complaining to the refs because somebody had their jersey out. And I'm pretty sure they got a technical. It's annoying. There's several reasons I cheer against Chris Paul. He's a whiner, a flopper, a cheater, a dirty player. I can't stand watching him play. Who wants to watch a guy that's always trying to cheat win a championship? So there's a couple people with their takes using our app. Always trying to cheat. Weiner. And he did get a technical foul on someone for an untucked jersey. That's that's true. You remember so that correctly. So he's adhering to rules. He is. Yes, he is. By the uh, that's very respect. letter of the law. And I'm a letter of the law guy. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty G's in here now. <laughs> Scotty. Scotty's like, yeah, as long as it serves your purpose. Until well, I'm you, not. Yeah, that makes me like every other person born. I agree. Ever met a more spirit of the law person than you? <laughs> no way. Let him have it, Scotty. There's one standard that we all must adhere to, and I adhere to it. Mine. <laughs> and your standard is versatile. Yes. Very well, fluid. That, fluid. fluid. That, that's the essence Morally of Utah flexible. State. There you go. Yeah. You tell me not to bring it up, and then you do. Oh, right. I was just talking about PK. Oh, okay. All right. At least I have morals. They're flexible. So you're rooting for the Bucks because of Sam Merrill. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be cool to see, see Sam, some local guys get, get, a, a ring. get a ring. Yeah, I'm rooting them because of Eli Bryant. Elijah Bryant, the former Cougar. 25 and 26-year-old rookies from BYU. And I'm rooting State. for them for Patty Imus. <laughs> what? My sister. Okay. <laughs> Husband and distant cousin to Dawn. I was going to say, is there any relation there? There is. Get any of that money? It's not a, it. W- wasn't a tight, but there was some. Yeah. Yes. So this comes back to what I corrected myself to on Chris Paul. What a week ago when I said there's no chance people ruined for him. I said, well, I had someone point oh, out you to me. Him an a hole. He he's Whoa. a bleep. I called him a bleep. I did not say that. I said bleep. I edited myself. But that's what you meant. And we've gotten it is it is. <laughs> I totally agree. And Jeez. we've gotten a lot of that. Here's Josh. I will never root for Chris Paul! Exclamation point. Man, that's a lot of emotion. At the same time, not. there's people. There's a lot of people who like him, and it's why I came back later in the show. I said he's divisive. It's not unanimous. He wouldn't have the State Farm commercial if there weren't a lot of people who liked him and rooted for him. True. So it's not about rooting for the for Chris Paul. It's rooting for the story of the Suns. It's a great story. From worst to first, sucking for a decade. Yeah, five years. Monty Williams losing his wife like five yeah. years ago in a in a car accident. Yeah. Suns basically have been a twenty-two and sixty team for the last five years. I mean, the first five in that run, first six in that there run. There's no way I'm rooting for Frank Kaminsky. 
Come on. We have gotten, Scotty, we have gotten some Jay Crowder uh, fans saying I'm rooting for Jay. All right. They want to ring for the Jay, former Jazz Junkyard man. dog, man, bouncing around the league, yep. second round pick. He's a success story unto himself. Back-to-back finals, right? He was on Miami. He was on Miami's team last, Miami team last they, year. They, they discarded the him. Yeah. Goes to Phoenix, a team that hadn't made the playoffs in 11 years. How do you not like this story? I'm very disappointed in you people. <laughs> you people. No, you, comma, people. Not you, people. I don't talk like you. Whoa. Stop. <laughs> we'll have none of that. <laughs> Too late. You are very never... disappointing you, people. Not you, you people. the listeners. People. I'm speaking generally, yes. Okay. If you root against the Suns, my hometown team, I've been a fan of theirs since 67. Well, you can be disappointed in Travis because he says, too much whining, exclamation point. Monty Williams does not whine. No, we're talking about Chris Paul. <laughs> but who doesn't whine in the NBA? They're all a bunch of whiners. I mean, that's just part of the gig. Trying to get the next call. Yeah. Just doing business, that's all. Same reason people are flopping all over the place. Yeah. Well, it seems like in the playoffs is exasperated because stakes are much higher. Yes, agreed. But across the board, though, I agree. Yeah, it's not. No, no, I agree. That's not a random game in December or January. Yeah, yeah. And so I appreciate that because if it means more, that means they're playing harder and it counts and everything. But you hate the flopping. Then call it. I'm with you on that. Have some dude. I think that. New I think York, the thing watching yeah. it and saying like, caucus, my and home where, state. See, I wasn't going to say that because I know you emphasize certain parts of that word. That but they could, they, see? they could review everything and be fine in those. <laughs> you are something, isn't he? Yeah. Wait, what, me? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Gordon. Wait, what, me? <laughs> you all right? I learned it from watching you. <laughs> no, come on. Say it like you really sell it. You're the best. Who taught you? Who taught you how to do this? You all right? I learned it from watching you. <laughs> there it is. That <laughs> uh, kind of hurt. So I do the impressions of you doing that, and now my kids are doing impressions of me doing impressions of you. Do- it's, <laughs> it's catching on. The good thing about me is I am the purest guy we have on this station. Well, the bar's not set that high. I know, you guys. Oh, man. Sometimes I just wonder. <laughs> You just make stuff up, just throwing random phrases against the wall. It doesn't even mean anything. Well, win in Rome. Yeah, regardless. Yeah, my mother's Italian. My father was, my grandfather was born in Italy. All right, before we get the whole family tree, we're going to take a break. And we come back, is Hans going to join you today? Hans will be here. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. All right, Scotty and Hans are coming up next. The greatness of Sam Merrill for four hours. Jeez. Next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.